Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. The online edition of The Independent this morning updates the uh, fiasco with regards to the shambles of the yeah, because of AstraZeneca and now the added problems with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Online this morning, The Independent is saying up to 100,000 people, up to 100,000 people will miss out on a COVID jab this week as vaccination clinics are cancelled and cancelled and the cancellations are continued. And that's up to everybody with the, with of the age protocol, serious risk of illness, serious risk of coronavirus, healthcare workers, all miss missing out on COVID-19 and the figure the independent puts on it this morning 100,000 people Jabsolute shambles is the front page of the mirror today the J&J shot is delayed over blood clot risks uh, America was the first to flag it and then within hours right across the world right across Europe and Johnson and Johnson themselves and we were due to get 600,000 doses of it I hate having to be accentuating the negative uh, the front page of the Sun this morning says shot down Pfizer and Moderna. The second shot um, is an issue they say in places. J and J is held up because of the clot uh, fear. Exactly, just like the AstraZeneca issue. It's a double whammy for the vaccine rollout. As the front pager uh, making this morning's. Uh, uh, Irish Daily Mail, uh, and then they drill into it in the red tops. I dealt with this with Dr. John Sheehan on air yesterday morning. How many people could develop these blood clots after getting the AstraZeneca vaccine? Uh, between four and ten people in every million, they're saying. Now, I have some updated stats on clotting in Irish hospitals a little later on, but four to ten people in every million uh, could uh, develop a blood clot. And how many people would actually die from developing one of those blood clots after taking AstraZeneca? One person in every million. One in a million. Um, talking of numbers, the examiner, and this is an important figure because it constantly is going up. They're anticipating now that when all this is over, the pandemic will have cost 35 billion to the national debt by the end of the year. Now, in America, you're talking trillions, but that's because of the hugeness of the country and the massive population. But for us, 35 billion. Although they believe the economy will grow by 4% when we get out of this, starting at about 2.5% and climbing by the end of the year, they're saying, uh, to maybe 4 And then next year, they're talking about growth of 75 Bloody hell, we'll need it all day long with the 35 billion euro debt. The Dubai 2 have bust out. I have an awful, I have an awful feeling always about this. I understand where they went and what they did and, you know, whether it should have gone or not. But I think they've paid an awful heavy price when you have two young girls constantly going in and out of court and going in and out of this hotel, having to co- cover their heads with anoraks. Anyway, they've tested negative, so they've been left go uh, from the quarantine hotel. The Dubai too, the long Dubai. And there they are again in the front of the papers this morning with their heads covered. I know the people won't, won't necessarily agree with me. And they have little insets then of their faces, which clearly were taken from their social media pages and Facebook and what have you. I don't know. Just get an uneasy feeling about it. I'll tell you why I get an uneasy feeling about it. There is an incredibly strong and powerful column piece in the papers this morning um, and it's Oliver Callan's column in this morning's papers. It's brilliant. I mean, uh, he, he says he, he's tying in 
the world we live in now and how we've learned absolutely nothing in the last 10 years. Why is he doing that? Well, the big ticket item at the moment is the new release of Reeling in the Years. Uh, and they're starting in 2010 and working their way through. And he watched it at the weekend and he was talking about, you know, we have learned nothing. We learned nothing with regards to Fianna Fáil and the Greens. And we're back with Fianna Fáil and the Greens again. We learn nothing about sleaze. We learn nothing about, um, you know, um, uh, anything to do with uh, issues involving, um, you know, banks and banking scandals and recession and property prices. I mean, the, the prices. I'm just giving you the, the heads up on it. If you can get a get your hands on a copy of, uh, I think it's in the Sun. I think it's Congress in the Sun. Um, it's called Left Reeling by the Depressing Fact that Little or Nothing Has Changed. It's a lot of the time columnists just just tend to waffle. No disrespect to them by calling them wafflers, I suppose. But Oliver Cannon this morning, very, very powerful, um, that we learn nothing decade after decade. Um, There's also a lovely story in the mail this morning where the Taoiseach, apparently, he was given some address, probably an online address, to the Hospitality and Tourism Expo yesterday. And he said that the way things are going with regards to our beautiful country, I don't know whether this changed overnight now because of Astra, whether it changes again now because of J&J, but he's saying it means that towards the end of May... And depending on the progress, there's always a caveat thrown in there. But towards the end of May, we'll be looking at reopening hotels, B&Bs and guest houses in the month of June. So I suppose that's something to uh, to look forward to. Irish Erasmus students that were overseas, there's about a thousand of them apparently that are out there in other countries learning languages and working and doing things you do on Erasmus. But of the thousand, there's about 500 of them are in EU countries that are now on the mandatory quarantine list. So they have to come home, uh, these Erasmus students, but they won't have to pay for the hotel quarantine, nor will their parents, apparently, uh, because they're going to have their accommodation paid for by the state. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, That doesn't happen if you're coming home to bury a loved one. But there was an unmerciful hangover in the UK, apparently, in spite of the cold weather, after Monday's relaxation. And they're doing all sorts of things in the UK. But there's a price to be paid, apparently, with photographs of um, streets jammed with people partying. Now all sitting down. and Well, not all of them. Some of the photographs show, uh, like when the drink's in... People get up from their tables. When the drink's in, they're at other tables and they're hugging. And The story in the Echo today talks about the gambling epidemic. Maybe you'd call a pandemic within a pandemic. And the Echo are talking about the amount of women who are addicted. Primarily, they hone in on online gambling, particularly online casinos, where they say that women are spending tens of thousands of euro in online casinos. And the more we go on about it, whether it's this program or you guys interacting or people taking to social media, it does make a change because on Monday night, Cork's council meeting was dominated by councillors who are just fed up with the fact that we have no public toilets in the city and there's no plan um, to put in public toilets across the city. The last one that we had, of course, was the Grand Parade and that was shut down and given up because people were shooting up in there. But Monday night's meeting, a lot of councillors were saying we need to get our acts to act together on this and hopefully that will make change. So the more we talk about it, the more we pressurise into actually giving us what we not don't necessarily, uh, you know feel is, is, is a bonus or a gift or anything like that. It's just a goddamn necessity in a city, particularly for those that are paying taxes and rates. And then talking about towns with crazy names, I mentioned yesterday morning that Facebook took off a town in France. They probably pronounce it Bichet, Bichet, but on paper, it looks like the word bitch. So Facebook saw that, Facebook France, and their algorithm wiped the page, the municipal page and the town from Facebook. 
B I T C H E. It's back again now, a bit like the Elton John song, The Bitch is Back. But it got us thinking of uh, strange Irish place names. So if you have any, do share. Like there's Nicker in County Limerick, there's Paul Namoka in Tipperary, which apparently translates to Pig's Hole. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my schoolboy sense of humor will come out for this stuff, believe me. Then there's Bastardstown in Wexford. Thank you very much. I come from Bastardstown, County Wexford. Effin in County Limerick. I've always loved that. Effin. Heavenstown. Must be a beautiful place to live in Wexford. Doody's Bottom in County Wicklow. <laughs> County Wicklow is another one. And if you wanted to know, where's Ireland's longest place name? It's a, a twi- it, you know, there is one in Wales and it's like 40 letters long. I can't remember it. I certainly couldn't pronounce it. But Ireland's longest place name has 22 letters in it. Um, and the only way that I can pronounce it, it's actually, it actually translates as Pig's Marsh Between Two Seas. Um, and it's in County Galway, apparently. And the only way I can pronounce it was to break it down with a pen. Mucca na heder de holia. Mucca na heder de holia. <laughs> You'd want a very long envelope for that, wouldn't you? And small writing. They talk about all the activities that we love to do, particularly when you get to get out the 5k and this morning the star talks of the 50 simple pleasures in life um, like a cup of tea in bed no thank you birds tweeting yes having dinner made for you all day long but the one that stands out for me is just feeling the sun on my face feeling the sun on my face whether for me whether it was Kinsale on Monday or Yall Beach yesterday just love it all day long and with regards to uh, lockdown and COVID, COVIDitis. One fellow who's absolutely sick to death of it is Mick Jagger. How old is Jagger now, lads? Is he into his 80s? He's still rocking and rolling, in fairness to him. But he's written a new song. It's called In Easy Sleazy. He's 77, my apologies. Not 88, 77. Uh, but he's written a song in protest against uh, COVID and the coronavirus and what have you. Uh, all of the papers then adapt all of the different Rolling Stone songs down through the decades like they changed Little Red Rooster to Little Red Booster or Jumpin' Jack Flash to Jumpin' Jack Vax but here's about 15 seconds I'm only brave enough to give you 15 seconds of it because it's full on uh, Mick Jagger's new song the um, COVID song called Easy Sleazy <laughs> Slight similarities, and except he roars and screams a bit more, but there you have it nonetheless. And the tweet of the day for me today, right? Galen Weston, the boss behind um, a huge supermarket and retail empire. He died yesterday, RIP. And of course, uh, the Westons owned Brown, Brown Thomas. So there's a great tweet this morning from Richard Jacob from Idaho Cafe on Caroline Street. It says, Galen Weston, the businessman behind Brown Thomas, RIP from the other businessmen behind Brown Thomas. I just love it. Well done, Richard. The Neil Prenderville Show. Um, I don't do a whole lot of requests and dedications, but I'm noticing an awful lot more in the past 12 months and I endeavor to get into them as best I can. And also, there's an awful lot more traffic these days on my Instagram page. My apologies to people who are sending me messages. I endeavor to get through them all. Uh, I'm not the greatest in navigating around it, so bear with me if it takes some time to get back to you. But there is a very special birthday today, um, and I got a lovely note 
Um, I, I just I just printed it off, so I don't have the whole thing. So what I printed was, I hope you'll make a, a birthday exception. You see, it's my birthday tomorrow, the 14th, but it's also my twin son's birthday, Darren and Rick. Um, for the past 41 years, my twin sons have never been separated on a birthday. And it's always a huge celebration. Rick lives in London because of COVID, he can't come home. So I'm hoping you will let him know how much he has loved and how much we'll miss him today. It won't be the same but we will celebrate as soon as possible. So can you please wish my darling sons, Darren and Rick, the happiest of birthdays, 41 years old. Remind them of the double happiness they've always given me and how proud I am of them. Um, they were the best birthday present I ever got. Loved, loved so much from their much younger mum. I'm only 28. Forever a recycled teenager, says Marguerite. So happy to do that for you. Happy birthday to all concerned. Uh, and that's from uh, my Instagram page. Um, if you're not following me on Instagram, there's always some interesting stuff happening there. You can get in touch with me that way as well. Not suggesting it's the only way. Clearly, you can get in touch here also. But yesterday... We head out and about every day to see where people are and see what people are doing. And Seamus Whelan has been out and about over the past couple of days. To know is no, today's no exception. He's heading out again. But out and about this week, chatting to Corkonians uh, who are now moving around beyond their 5K, heading to tourist spots around our great city and county. On Monday, he was in Yall. And yesterday, we kind of swapped places because he's going to places where I've been and then I'm following his tail, if you know what I mean. So he was in Yall uh, on Monday. And yesterday, he was down in beautiful Kinsale, sunny Kinsale, talking to tourists, talking to locals and talking to some of the business people as well. Let's have a listen. We're delighted. We're just down for the day down in Kinsale from Ballancolic, going for a walk and heading to the beach. Uh, we were lucky where we were living that we had the regional park, but it's nice to go further afield for sure. Watches the ships that go sailing. It's great to be able to come down to Kinsale and um, just look at the sea again, you know. Miss that terribly. Hope to go to Garrettstown and have a look around too, so got the bus down because it's so easy you know on the bus and then um, safe driving so it's just lovely I think we were all feeling a bit hemmed in to say the least of it weren't we and have you been vaccinated yet or not yet no no but you feel safe enough to move I, do. I do I wear my mask you know on the bus and that and um, not silly like I don't congregate with a lot of people but no I feel perfectly safe to be honest yeah we're delighted the 5k is lifted you know um, uh, a bit of freedom mental health all being catered for we can finally see our county common sense now must prevail it'll certainly mean the cases will go up again because people will travel more like you know I think I don't know. Is there is there was was there is it that bad? Like was there much need to move it? It's okay for for people walking, yes, but for people that are for people that are staying walking from home anyway, is there any need to go more than five k? People are walking. They're walking from home. The traffic shouldn't have increased as much. The schools going back probably would have catered for that a bit, alright. But just I don't know. I don't know. I think they should lift it at five k. It's really nice <laughs> to that it's gone. Yes. I don't know for you, but I'm going to go in Cork, and it's easier to travel because we are open, so we love to move. We're actually down because yesterday I got married. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very much. How did so, go with the It was beautiful. It was very intimate, but it was it was lovely. I think it would have been it was a lot more than it would have been if we went with our original plan, which was a lot more people. So it was a, it was great. And where did you come from? We came from Wexford. 
Okay. Yeah. So it was a nice, a nice journey, but it was beautiful. So we're delighted to be here now. Yeah, no, I was on the groom side, uh, so it was a small wedding, but it was just brilliant to, to get together and celebrate it, like, you know. Um, very much needed. Everybody yeah. was uh, starved of human contact okay. and family and, you know, sense of normality. I'm Finn Bardesman from Fisherman's Catch, food truck at the bridge in Kinsale. There's been a vast increase in the traffic, especially yesterday, and uh, the business has increased. How was it for the last couple of months for you? Because like this is a fairly popular spot. It was very quiet, really. We were, we were just scraping by, but the sunnier days were a little bit busier, obviously, with the fine weather. But really, it was it was quite just ticking over. And do you hope that with the easing now of the five uh, K restriction, that it will have a boost, knock on boost for? And maybe it's a hope for staycations later this year? Well, I hope for everybody's sake, especially in Kinsale, because there's lots of business that couldn't operate at all, and it's, it's very sad to see, for everybody's sake. It's great that everything is opening up a bit now, and for everybody's, you know, business future, like. Beyond the way we saw it, that it's open, so we were like, we will stop it. <laughs> yeah, we actually turned back. <laughs> yeah, because we were on the bridge already, and we just turned it back. Like, did you miss Kinsale? Yeah, I lot like, you know, because like we, we're both from Cork, so, you know, with the 5k limit, like it was hard to go somewhere where you have the water or, you know, whatever. Yeah. We couldn't wait to get on the road. It's fantastic and every day like today and nice feed efficient ships, right? But what was But we love Kinsale. We'd, we'd always be down on Kinsale and sure we missed it. We, we weren't down here since before Christmas. Yeah, we're happy enough now in fairness, you know, it's nice to be able to get out and about and and do something rather than being stuck in the town. And today, you know, sort of fish and chips. Down we were saying we might go for a swim, but it was a bit cold, so we called it off. Yeah, no, to be fair, I'd love the point now is the pubs are open, it'd be perfect. <laughs> what can you do? It's going to get out. Ray Davies and the Kings. Sorry about the quality of that, my apologies, but uh, Lee's in on a sunny afternoon and I suppose we got that yesterday and we'll again today and I also thought I'd play that one because Seamus was in Kinsale and of course I don't know whether he still lives there but for a long period of time he's probably still living in Kinsale the great Ray Davies uh, today uh, Seamus Whelan is travelling to Clonakilty and to Inshadoni Beach watch out for him uh, just a quick one from Saoirse says I know you were talking about walking around Kinsale and up around James Fort yeah it was there on Monday you can't walk out to the lighthouse in the old head it's open to the public twice a year but you can walk to the signal tower that has the Lusitania Museum and Cafe thank you Saoirse and it won't be too long before that museum and cafe will be open again back after the Break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Morning all. I also have an update from Dean who's back from Tenerife in a few minutes time. Uh, we had an interesting discussion about 10 days ago and vast majority of people were quite positive about him being out there in spite of him being there on the pub payment. So he's back now and I'll update with him. Meanwhile, I was just talking about Bichet in France that got 
axed by Facebook because they thought it was the word bitch. It's spelled B-I-T-C-H, but the French wouldn't pronounce it that way. It's got you guys uh, sending me in other crazy place names. I just mentioned a few earlier on this morning from around the country. Neil, there's a place outside Bandon called Gaggan. I've always loved that, Gaggan. What about Ard Fanny in Kinsale, says, says uh, Helen. Another one, Faggot Hill in Blarney. Uh, one or two more coming in. Actually, let me, let me let, keep those coming. Text 0868104106. No, that's crazy, well, wacky, I suppose, and lovable place names. But I just want, I don't want to hold Moraid too long because people are listening all over the world and Moraid is in Perth in Australia and joins me by phone. Morning. Good, good evening. How are you? That's right. You're probably getting ready for bed, are you? Oh, I'm just getting dinner organized. Okay. So what are you? Are you nine, ten hours ahead? Uh, no, I'm in Perth. So we're only, since your clock's changed, we're only seven hours. Oh, so that's nothing. That's only a hop, skip and a jump. Anyway, lovely that's to so catch well. up with overseas listeners. Thank you so much for listening overseas. But you work in a GP clinic in Perth. What happened? Well, one of our patients was on holidays last week over in um, a town in far north Queensland. And the, the pharmacy there was having a problem with their prescription, so I had to email a fresh prescription across to them. But our settings on our emails wouldn't allow me to send it because the pharmacy was in a town called Yorkies Knob. And our uh, restrictions came across as it might have been a bit too rude because the email address was at Yorkies Knob Pharmacy, or Yorkies Knob Pharmacy at Live, and it, it, it sounded a little bit risky. As in Yorkies K N O B. K-K-N-O-B, yes. That's the name of the town in Far North Queensland. Would you love to find out why they called the town that? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to delve into it, to be honest. So how I did you get the prescription? dangerous Google search. <laughs> There'll be a history of your Google searches. But yeah. like, So how did you get the prescription to the patient in Yorkie's Knob? We ended up having to go back to the old-fashioned way and send the facts. <laughs> So the facts got there in the end. We actually still do faxes, do we, in this world of ours? Good God, I didn't know they were still around. We do. Yes, I had to learn how to do it again, to be honest. Anyway, you're in, a, you're in a pharmacy. You're probably doing, I know I'm talking about COVID, forgive me, but you're probably doing vaccinations in the pharmacies there now at this stage, are you? No, we're not. Our um, vaccine rollout has had a few bumps in the road this week, so it's very slow down. Um, we're probably looking at the end of the year, if not into next year, because we stopped doing using AstraZeneca for under 50s as well, like at home. Um, yeah, I know. So we are, we're starting to lag behind the rest of the world, to be honest, when it comes to vaccinations. Yeah, and not just AstraZeneca now, but Johnson & Johnson as well. Yeah, well, our government actually hadn't um, entered into any contracts with Johnson and Johnson. They hadn't. They, they sort of put all of their eggs in one basket with AstraZeneca and a little bit of Pfizer. So, um, yeah, the, the Novavaxes. We're hoping that if we can get Novavax in the middle of the year, that we might get the rollout up and running again. But how much of the country is open at this stage, Moraid? Uh, does it depend on oh, which the whole stage? Country is open. Yeah, everything. No, at this at this stage, everything is open. Um, the only restrictions we have left here in WA now are in restaurants and bars and nightclubs. They're at 70, 75% capacity, but um, stadiums, theatres, everything is, is at back to 100% capacity now. Indoor and outdoor, the lot. In, indoor and outdoor, yep. And we how are the numbers? Did the numbers spike after that happened? Oh, you see, we don't have COVID in the country. We don't have any community transmission. At all now? Actually, the other day... Nothing. 
at, at all. It was um, bizarre. One day last week, one day last week, part, Western Australia had its anniversary of one year since we had community transmission. Why, like, I mean, it might sound like a stupid question, but why is there no COVID there? What did you do? I, I think there was strong leadership from the states as well as the federal government. I think that's what was lacking back at home. There was no strong leadership, really. To, but was it that you just shut everything down? I mean, you, you couldn't get down. into we the country? Down. We shut the, and people still can't get into the country. Um, we still don't have any international uh, travel. As yeah. much. Like we're not, allowed, we're not allowed to travel. There are still Australians. I think the last count was 36,000 Australians that are still stranded overseas trying to get into the country. Um, just today, we have to... Um, it was on the news that a plane load of um, farm workers can't get into the country now, into WA, because we don't have enough capacity in our hotel quarantine system for them. So there, there still is COVID lurking in, in within the hotel quarantine, but not out in the community. Okay, so down to early action and strong leadership. I think so, yeah. yeah and and we were just very, very lucky. All right. Listen, I'll let you get back to the dinner. What are you having? Oh, I'm just doing some uh, boiled potatoes there. <laughs> you can take the girl out of court, but not cork out of the girl. <laughs> I'll let you get on with it. Listen, thanks for the update. Stay listening. Cheers. All right, in Perth. Great to catch up with the people overseas. Interestingly, I mean, I'm still getting emails and questions from people who are either over. Somebody was on to me by email about Poland. If you if you go over and you come back, would you have to go into quarantine? Yes. Somebody else saying, I'm wondering if you can help in any way of relative due to travel to the U.S., uh, going, uh, imagine going today actually, back on Saturday. Um, they say the US isn't showing on the portal for booking a hotel room for quarantine. I can't get an answer from anyone. Um, and wondering whether or not my relative would be denied boarding the US to come back. Probably not denied boarding coming back, but certainly yes into the quarantine hotel. Problem with the quarantine hotels in Dublin at the moment, I've been reading overnight, is they just don't have, they just don't have enough rooms because a lot of people are getting onto airplanes and being allowed to fly into Ireland and then turn, and then literally just turning up without a booking at the quarantine hotel. And that's causing a problem by all accounts. But you know, we were talking about the amount of cases with regards to people, um, you know, developing blood clots from AstraZeneca and it's making the papers again this morning. And of course, 100,000 people won't get uh, vaccinated this week when you total up the figures because everything's been stalled. But I was just curious as to uh, how many people had actually been admitted to hospital in Ireland with uh, clotting issues because it was, you know, we were talking about the potential to, you know, with regards to clotting. Then the papers were saying, and we were talking about it yesterday morning, that between four and ten in a million might get a clot from AstraZeneca, four and ten in a million, um, and that one of in a million would die. So I, I was kind of interested to find out, well, how many people are in hospital with clotting issues if it's supposed to be between four and ten per million. We've only done a million vaccinations and some of them are first and some of them are seconds. Second. So we got onto the HSC or at least the HPRA section of the uh, HSC who look after these kind of things. And we asked them, you know, how many people literally are in hospital with clotting and clotting. And they said that the HPRA has been notified, notified of 18 reports received as of the 7th of April, which describe blood clots or events possibly associated with blood clots that occurred following vast vaccination with AstraZeneca COVID-19. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm only a lay person, but I, I can't kind of rationalize that if they're saying between four and 10 in a million could get clots. How come we have 18 reported 
You know, like the maths don't make sense to me. They they say that the reports of suspected side effects of the AstraZeneca does not mean that the vaccine caused the side effect. Reports may describe coincidental events which have occurred post-vaccination, but would have occurred anyway, even if the vaccine had not been taken place. So that's kind of the caveat that while there are 18 reports of clotting um, or events possibly associated with clotting following the AstraZeneca vaccination, they're saying it may not necessarily have been from Astra, that it could be coincidental. But that's the figure anyway, 18 in hospitals as of um, the 7th of, of April. And that's an interesting stat because it, seemed, it seems high when you look at the, you know, the equation that they use regarding four and ten and a million, doesn't it? Anyway, lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Dean, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having me back on. Not at all. Let us pick up our conversation from whence we last spoke. And when we did, you were actually still on the beach in Tenerife. Where are you now? I was, yeah. Now, I'm I'm in another sunny location in beautiful West Cork. <laughs> and I'm back a couple of weeks now. And thankfully, we're back to work since yesterday. Okay, so you're back and you brought the sunshine with you. So actually, following our conversation, which we aired, did you hear about the, the interview when I played it on the air and the response from the public about you being out there, not being able to work and being on a pop payment? I did. Uh, a lot of people were, were texting me and... Um, I saw some activity online as well, although I don't have my own social media, I do have access to certain blogs and updates, media updates and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of support there <laughs> was. for my decision to go over There that. was actually an overwhelming support. I mean, I would say probably 90% in support, 10% saying, fair enough, you want to do that, but don't be taking the pub payment. That, that, but not a lot, I have to say. Yeah, but look, it's, it is what it is, it, and, and I'm delighted to see the support because it just means that more and more people are, I suppose, waking up to, to the nonsense that's going on, and uh, and they're obviously not happy. So th- that ninety percent uh, positive feedback is an indication of how people are feeling themselves out there. Okay. So they, they, they were they were in full support to me, like you know, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it was great, it was great to read this because I wasn't sure what way it would go. Well, I suppose you might have been reticent about chatting at all for fear that you'd have been lambasted. That certainly didn't happen. I have to say, maybe it's a touch of COVIDitis with people. But anyway, you decided to come back. Tell okay. us, tell us about the like. You're not, you're not like the Canaries are not on a quarantine list, so they're not. So therefore. Anyway, take us through no, the return visit. So, so, so there's no, so there's no legal requirement um, to, 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 to to quarantine. Uh, definitely not in the hotel anyway, because it's, it's not on that list. That's what I meant um, when I said quarantine. You, you, to, to, uh, yeah. to submit a, a passenger locator form, you have to do it, and uh, which I did, and uh, they expect you. Uh, you're obliged uh, to uh, self isolate 14 days. Before I get and to that, I though, I, own, so before, I, before I, I did it anyway. Yeah, but before we get to when you got home, before you left, did you have to have a, a negative PCR test or did you have to have a negative COVID test? Yeah, I did, Neil. Yes. So basically, I went in and I uh, got my PCR test uh, two days before I, I departed Tenerife, and uh, that was obviously negative. Um, and I had to show that then uh, when checking in. In the airport, and again uh, before boarding the the flight. 
Okay. Um, so, 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 I, so I had everything in order uh, uh, at that point. And then the next hurdle was when I got, uh, well, I was anticipating the next hurdle would be when I get to Dublin Airport. Okay, so did you get a Ryanair flight back from Tenerife to Dublin Airport? I did, yeah. And yeah, was, there, was, Ryanair, yeah. was there many on the flight? Uh, I'd say there was about five or six spare seats on, on, on the plane. All but full. All but full. And no idea, yeah. any idea, were these people on holidays, coming back from medical appointments, business, people returning? All you had to do was close your eyes and listen to the kids screaming and, and all that kind of stuff. You knew this was a holiday flight. Okay. It was a holiday flight, hands down, like, you know. Okay. I mean, okay. not, every, not everyone was on a business trip or, you know, or something that was of... Uh, a huge urgency or importance to, to to break out of break the rules, you know, and and head off to Tenerife. So it, it, they were holidaymakers. Okay, so you call it a flight full of holidaymakers returning home. You got into Dublin Airport. Talk us through that. So basically, um, I was ahead of I suppose I was in the first I suppose quarter of the people passengers and uh, going through passport control, and so I got to passport control. And uh, I had to show my passenger locator form and uh, COVID negative test results. Um, so when I got up on my phone, the first it was the COVID uh, results. The, the guy, the immigration officer, didn't even check it. The fact that the fact that I was offering my phone, he just believed that I had it on display on the screen. He didn't even get to see it, and he said, "Okay, passenger locator form next." And again, just the fact that I was the very fact that I was offering my phone indicated to him he was pleased that I was going to show him what was what was required and he didn't even see it and so I mean and then they're putting all this emphasis and all these resources in place for the hotel quarantine they're not even checking people going through passport control now I can only only speak for myself in that particular instance um, but he most certainly did not check my COVID uh, result or my passenger locator form. Do you think that they would and need to? Do you think that they would need to check those things if they had been checked in Tenerife before you boarded the flight? What was checked? Um, we see what could happen is, and I know this has happened because I know people that have flown home on a uh, rapid uh, antigen uh, negative test result. And uh, the fact that they should just show on the phone showing where it says negative and not necessarily seeing that it was a PCR or antigen. But in, in, in my case, they did actually check that it was a PCR test. Um, but I could have easily slipped through like like a couple of people that I know. In Tenerife. Therefore, I would have gotten to Ireland where I was been properly checked. Okay, so if you and weren't... Had, I, had that been the case, I would have gotten straight through. Straight so, out through the airport and out onto the main road without it being checked. Okay, it would so have been, it, it could have happened. Did he ask you what business you had in Tenerife? He did, he asked uh, the purpose of my trip. And... Um, to which I said, and I know people are going to say, oh, you're lying. Uh, I was on holiday, but I actually said, okay, well, I'm going to try and avoid a bit of hassle here and see if I can get around it. And I said, business. And uh, he said, what business? I said, construction. And he looked at me as if, oh, you are, yeah, construction, I bet. And that was it. No more questions. No, oh, he didn't okay. have to prove it or anything. Okay. What would he have said if you, you'll have to go to confession now, you know that. What would he have said if you had said holiday? Uh, I don't know. Well, do you know what? I I don't know that particular booth I went to, but what I can tell you, Neil, is that afterwards, when I went through a password control, went to collect my luggage, I spoke to three families. One, uh, their reason that they gave to the password control was that they were at a funeral, okay, and uh, the whole family, the kids and the whole lot for, for a, a month funeral, okay, and, uh, oh and the other two families told them that they were on holiday and they had it booked since last year. 
and no hassle whatsoever. I didn't hear, see anyone getting hassled or no no um, no sign of anybody getting fined whatsoever. Now there was customs and checking people's luggage and stuff, but that's a, that's a separate issue. But the people who but came back, the people who came back and said that they'd been there on holidays, they didn't get fined. Nobody else got pulled no from that flight. You certainly weren't fined for same construction. And I mean, I mean, he, he could have asked me to prove it that I was over there uh, on business. You nobody, know, and that wasn't the case, you know. Okay, and nobody looked for proof of uh, COVID negative test. They just asked you if you had it. He just asked me that I have it, but but I, I was to show him, and I was showing him. But the fact that I was about to hand in the phone, he just said, "Yeah, that's fine," and then onto the. Passenger located. Did anybody say to, okay? Did anybody say to you where are you going and where will you be isolating? No. Okay, I'm very relaxed entirely. No. You you called it a joke, very actually. Nice. I think did you? Did you call it a joke? What's that? Did the call? Did you call the, that whole process a joke? Brenda was telling me. Uh, it, is, it, it, it is. It's a bit of a shit show, Neil. I hope and my <laughs> but it is like I mean, they're putting all this fear out there. That, you know, people getting fined this and that. And then I've, 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 I've witnessed it going through the airport twice now. And that's not the case at all. Okay. You know, I have, I've yet to meet someone that's been fined uh, for travelling. I'm not saying that no one has, but I find it very hard to find anyone that has been fined 500 euro or whatever the, whatever the current fee is. And are you back working in construction now? Yeah, we're back working there now. Yeah, yeah, half day today. I work on some admin. But uh, we're down with the West Cork. We're, we're building a couple of houses. So uh, the weather's good for us at the moment. Okay, so you're just breaking up, a small, you're breaking up a small routine. So you are working on houses. Does that mean that the pop automatically stops now, yeah? Uh, well, it's, I think it's based on how much our turnover is down from this time last year. So it will adjust. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, we have a good accountant that's working on that for us. So as soon as we have to make an adjustment or come off it, uh, that's exactly what we'll do. We're, like, we're, we're 100% compliant. We're not doing anything okay. that uh, we're not supposed to do. So okay. that, that'll be the case going forward. And have you any more trips planned across the spring or summer? Yeah, I'm going back over to Tenerife in a few weeks. Go away. For how long? Um, I'm going over for five, about five days, I think it is, yeah. That's not for construction, so, uh, though, or a funeral or anything, no? It's for a holiday. Uh, no, I've I've not a pain in my tooth. I just uh, put dentist over there, so I might, uh, might, oh, might check him out and see what he can do for me. You know. Oh, I get into trouble now for laughing. I really will. I'd be saying they'd be saying that I'm, condo- I'm it's condoning. It's been a while, though, you know. <laughs> I have I have a legitimate pain in a tooth. I should go with you. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Yeah, you're more than welcome. All right, okay. All right. Well, listen. This is just the latest chapter in your travels. I have a feeling we may talk again. <laughs> I think we might, Neil. Thanks again for having me on, Neil. Is there any chance I can give a shout out? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, I know I gave him a bit of a passion in my my first interview, but uh, just a shout out to uh, Mr. Leo Vraker there. Uh, I want to wish him the best of luck with the guard investigation he's <laughs> under for potential corruption charges so our thoughts and prayers are with him at this time oh okay? for god's sake you're a stand up comic talk soon Dean right. cheers take care thanks for you have a the Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And indeed, if you have an opinion or a comment that you'd like to make regarding Dean being back in Ireland and also potentially going back to Tenerife again, text 0868 104 106. Meanwhile, sometime, I can tell you, I'll let you in on a secret, sometime between now and midday, I have 300 euro cash to give away, courtesy of ourselves and Cyro. And you can take the Cyro speed test. It's Ireland's ultra fast 100% fiber broadband. When I say fast, it's fast. Further details at siro.ie. So sometime between now and uh, midday, you will hear this cue to call. Don't call just yet, but when you hear it again, 
And we got a, a fairly snappy question to ask you on air if you're lucky enough to get on air. If you answer correctly, you'll win 300 euro cash. But you're listening up for this. This is your cue to call 1850-104-106. Take the Cyro speed test and see can you win the cash. Call uh, us now. Yes, and uh, no, don't call just yet. That's just what you will hear again. But when you get on the air, then I will give you 10 seconds to answer a question. Fairly straightforward. It's multiple choice answers, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> Multiple choice, get the right one, 300 euro cash. All right, so that's sometime between now and midday today. Huge response, massive, certainly by text to um, caller on air yesterday who was called fat by her GP. Her doctor said, worse to the effect of, um, I want to try and sort this out because I don't want you to go into hospital because fat people don't fare well with COVID in hospital. Fat people. So big response to that as to whether it's an acceptable word or whether or not people should be called out on their weight um, because it might act as a catalyst for change. I'm not saying that that should happen. I'm just saying that in many cases, people have said their wake-up moment was when something like that happened. What's wrong with telling it as it is? If you are fat, then that's what you are. Why pussyfoot around the fact people have no problem telling people if they are too thin? Should they be offended too, says Deirdre? Well, some people find the term fat or too thin offensive like and very annoying other other people get upset like for instance like could you imagine asking somebody who got married or had a partner for a while when are you having a baby um i mean and, and maybe they're struggling and struggling and trying to have a baby um or imagine confusing somebody who was overweight obese or indeed fat with being pregnant you know things like that i heard you calling fat i heard you calling people fat yourself i've heard you on many occasions saying the word maybe you should stop now as well seeing as you are the first hand you see the first hand effects of calling somebody fat i probably have spoken a lot about the word fat and asked the question as to whether it's not an acceptable word to use and that it isn't a term of abuse i have never called a person fat i've never ever called anybody that word i just wouldn't i mean it's not a, it's not within me to say you're a fat person. Um, I'm only talking about the use of the word in general. Only for my dad being overweight, he would never have lived for nearly six years after being diagnosed with serious cancer. He had the weight to lose and it helped him to keep going. So being overweight or fat, as you say, can help sometimes. Interesting text. Stop the lights. Why would the taxpayer want to fund 20 grand for everyone that's too lazy to lose weight? That's somebody picking up on a conversation yesterday I had on air with a lady who had a girl who had um, uh, gastric uh, restrictions. She had her stomach uh, restricted. One of those type of gastric banding, banding and although it wasn't technically gastric banding. Uh, and the cost of it was 19,000 euro. And I asked the question yesterday morning, should that be paid for by uh, HSE? Um, suggesting why would the HSE pay for it? It ends up the taxpayer uh, paying for something because people are too lazy to lose weight the hard way. Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic, which is as sh- which is as shameful as any addiction. It hurt when I was told I was an alcoholic, just as it would hurt if I was told I was fat. However, the more it was repeated to me, the more I wanted to help myself. Doctors can't do this for us. But they can tell us straight up, says Juliet. You know, talk facts like, you know, give it to me straight. Regarding the doctor calling the lady fat, this raises another concern. Why would he be worried about sending her to the A&D? If she was thin, he would have sent her, wouldn't he? Does this imply the doctors feel that hospital environments is bad for your health? Very strange. 
very strange. Thank you for that text. Well, there are some do that the last place you want to go into is hospital. If you ask me, fat sounds much better than obese. Years and years ago, obese was a term actually that was even beyond fat. Um, but now it's different because you can have different levels of obesity. Um, on medical grounds, if a doctor tells a patient they're fat, maybe the patient should take notice rather than taking offense. Take notice, not offense. I'm so angry for that woman. My doctor often spoke to me in the past about my weight, but I never came away feeling hurt or upset. Um, just as a side note, Neil, I'm not fat, but I do have fat. That's a different way to think of it. For a doctor to say, listen, you have excess fat that causes complications with COVID and hospital, that would be acceptable. But to say, listen, you're fat and that causes a problem. Well, everyone has fat. Some have more, some have less. But we are not fat. We have fat. And there is the difference. And that's just a selection of pages and pages on that. And also uh, people's uh, opinions on going grey. Going grey is a privilege. I am a fatty. My Irish friends call me their English short-necked fat dwarf. (laughs) I cry myself to sleep every night laughing. Better laughing than crying, I suppose. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Yeah, Kieran covers an awful lot of bases this morning in his text. I'd also like to know about the flu he- four helicopters that were flying out in formation uh, over the city and suburbs last night. He says, could you please find out about the four choppers that flew out of Cork Airport last night, around about 9 o'clock. And earlier than that, actually, I had a buddy of mine sending me photographs earlier than that. Three were together and flying very low and had no lights on. The other one flew off shortly afterwards. Anybody know what those choppers were doing? Three stroke four of them over the skies of Cork last night. Also, Kieran says, with regards to the people like Dean flying to and from Tenerife for their own reasons in the middle of a pandemic, when we're all trying to do our best, what is right and what is wrong, it's disappointing to say the least and should endure condemnation, not support. Uh, And he also makes a point then of being people who have been called too fat. He says that he has regularly been called out as being too thin. So interesting perspective there. Thank you for all of them. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. I think I was called a disgrace there. Uh, Asher, it's always a good day when people are tearing strips out of me. You're an effing disgrace. An effing disgrace. Entertaining that lawbreaker on your show with regards to Dean over and back from Tenerife, you are now after hitting an all-time low. Please, God, pray he will get the virus. And no more idiots like him, please, says Nora. All right, well, there you have it. Effing disgrace, entertaining. Be a very dull show if I was picking and choosing those who could or couldn't go on the air. Uh, but anyway, you can't win. Do the best you can. Effing disgrace. Good, <laughs> good way to start the day. That's twice now I've been called a disgrace. It was just called a disgrace as well yesterday when I went home, having bought the wrong kettle. Don't even go there. I must tell you the story about it. <laughs> no, yeah. First world problem. Had to be a kettle that was see-through where you can see the water bubbling. I mean, really? Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? So I'm an effing disgrace for putting Dean on the air. What do you make of it anyway? Well, first of all, I wonder the helicopter is part of the Kinsale gas field thing. I was just thinking there. Thank you. It, Do you think that's what it, it was? May, it may or may not. I don't know. I mean, they're going the wrong way, obviously, but who knows? Okay. But, uh, 
it's not a conspiracy, you know, no one's watching us. But I just said I'd ring because my heart, I'm sitting here and my heart is breaking. I'm, I'm nearly in tears. Like, Dean didn't get his fine. I'm so upset for him. He wasn't questioned. I mean... I, he, so he, no, but I know him. you're being tongue-in-cheek, but he was just outlining how lackadaisical it is at Dublin Airport. But, you see, this is the problem with Irish people because we were never in lockdown, lads. What do they want? Does, does, like, if he was put through the ringer and interviewed and interrogated and fined, he'd be on complaining about draconian measures in Dublin Airport. This is an overall, this is part and parcel of the overall Irish problem. We were never put into proper lockdown. Everyone went and closed their doors and closed their curtains last April when they crapped their pants thinking they'd get this virus and it would kill them, right? And everyone remembers that as the lockdown. But there was no police on the street sending you home. And this is the thing, the guards are there, they have a tough job here and they're doing their best. And look, you're, you know you're not aware of guards turning people back, my friend? Last April, May, we didn't have the police on the streets like they were in other countries. Yeah, we worked up to it eventually. Yeah, then, we were... yeah exa- exactly. The, the lockdown people remember this country when they went home themselves and hid from the rest of the world. He said that the flight from Tenerife was full of people <coughs> with kids. He says, in his opinion, yeah. it was a flight full of people coming back from holidays. Somebody actually was asked a question at Dublin Airport, where are you coming back from? You've been away for a month. And they said the family were at a funeral. Uh-huh. Sure, that's it. But that's part of our problem with the contact tracing as well, because we'll never know where the outbreaks are, because people, Irish people lie. They, they won't say they're at a party. And I mean, you know, those girls that were just recently quarantined today, they went over for a boob job, but they didn't have it. That's a bit like the people that went off with the, with the dentist letter um, to Tenerife. He sounded absolutely gutted that he didn't get fined. I mean, maybe he should just donate the fine amount to the Simon or Penny Dinners or something, because, you know, detailing how he got away with it and laughing. I mean, you know, get over it, mate. He went off. I heard him the first day, and you know what? I didn't like it, but I thought he was—he was, he made a—he made a very good argument. He started to veer a little bit into the whole conspiracy theory stuff the first day he was on um, about you know lockdown and control and all that. But in fairness to him, he was right. He's managing his own context. He went off. He took his precautions. He probably washed his hands, wore, wore a, a you know masks, etc. Did no one any harm. I went off, but like coming back and coming on the radio and detailing how he got away was like it's a, bit, it's a bit pathetic, to be honest with you. Not so sure he was detailing how he got away with it. I mean, if if that was your interpretation of the conversation, well, he was he, I mean, he was saying he he was saying how it was a joke that he wasn't questioned and your man, your man, you know, he, you know, the the, the, the guard on, on or the immigration officer asked him a question, and you know, the the, the guard he said I got up he, I got he, her up on the phone and I, and I was just about to show him and he nodded and he said ah that's okay yeah and he asked me for the locator form just to let him know where I was staying even though you don't blah blah blah. Um, he he. When I was about to give it to him, he just looked. I was. I wanted to show him the locator form. He didn't look, and he said, "Yeah, you're okay. Go on." Yeah, because he trusted that he had us when he asked him. So I mean, what do they want? Do people want to? Do they want to, to, to going through everything now? You know, I mean, like get over it. There was. We have to have a certain level of trust here, and this is the problem. Again, with Irish people, they'll just take advantage if they, you know, if they, if they can. So look, I just think. It's a non-story as far as I'm concerned. Welcome back, Dean. Go off there to work and just let the rest of us get on with us. You know? All right, my friend. Thanks and for I, that. I, by the way, I don't have an issue with the fact that he was on the COVID out there. I think he was right in a way because he's responsible and he's, you know, it's, it, it is his money because he was prevented from work. But so do you have an issue when he was asked as to what his business was in Tenerife when he came back? He didn't say he was on holidays. He said it was construction. Yeah, I do. I think, I think it's, it's that, that, that totally just, that's what I'm saying, like it totally put, you know, he lied. So it, it kind of, it, it does him a disservice because he should have just been honest. I, I've been stopped at, at um, checkpoints and I've been honest with the guards that I live alone 
um, you know, I live with my family, I'm see a friend who lives alone or whatever, and not not a problem. And, you know, a lot of people that are getting fined, not everyone, but a lot of people getting fined and arrested want to be because they start spouting the Constitution as soon as they roll up to a checkpoint. All right. So, okay. comes the book. All right, All let's right. get some Thank more time. Thank you for that. Much obliged. Thank Good. you, Dan. Text 0868104106 if you have an opinion on Dean's trip. But to Rob in Canberra, Australia. We're all over Australia this morning. Morning. How are you doing there, Neil? I'm good. I think the last time we spoke, you were trying to get finances to try and buy a, a property in Cove, wasn't that right? I had a property in Cove. I still have, Neil. It's a, it's a, um, a large shared accommodation. Still trying to get some finance and get it off the That's ground. Right. It's That's still, right. Uh, okay. still, still vacant. Yeah, okay. still trying. Okay. So yeah. um, you were listening to Dean just back from Tenerife. I was, I, I was, and look, I well, I listen to your podcast a lot, you know, because of the time difference and that, Neil. But yeah. uh, I couldn't help but send that text, you know, and just give a bit of background uh, to what's happening here in Australia. And I did hear the lady from Perth um, give you some um, information on that. Look, we are blessed because of the geographical isolation here in Australia. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But I feel so sorry for the people who are going into. Um, you know, you strict lockdowns over there, and yet if you're going to be letting people through immigration like that and not have strict rules on quarantine, at the end of the day, Neil, it, it, it's all for nothing, really. You know, I hate to say that, but, mm. but that's the that's that's the bottom line. You know, mm. you thought that the approach taken at Dublin Airport when this plane load from Tenerife for coming back was lax, to say the least, then, or that people shouldn't be going there in the first place. Absolutely. And I mean, look, uh, travel is restricted from Australia. You can only leave, you know, with uh, exemptions and whatnot. But uh, people here are sort of, we're just working on staycations and staying within the country and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think if, if more of that was happening in Ireland. Um, and, and, and if you're going to have the rules, you've got to police it. Like if people come into the country, they're basically put on buses and taken to hotels, quarantine at their own expense. I mean, that's what happens. Um, there, you only need half a dozen people to come into the country in with COVID, and before you know it, it's everywhere. So I mean, yeah. you know, and the other thing is, I think you should control your borders. I believe, like in Dublin, there's many cases there, but not so many in Cork and Kerry. That what you need to do is somehow police the borders and literally have, a, to a certain extent, a hard border within the country. Um, that would that would involve a hard border around Dublin, then. Exactly. Exactly. I believe the cases there are like 20 times, you know, in, per capita in, 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 for the rest, than the rest of the country. So, I mean, that, that's sort of what you need to do. And, I mean, it seems to me, and we, we, we my wife's family, and, um, you know, they're in Middleton and Carrie Tool, my father-in-law, he's 88. He's from Carrie Tool, Joe Motherway. He's with us now. We can't get him home, you know. He's still here. Um and I know that they've been, you know, all the people have been very good with their lockdown and, and, and doing the right thing. And, uh, and, and I mean, if that happens, I mean, you know, I think you can get on top of it. But if, um, if you've got this willy-nilly sort of approach uh, from people coming uh, from overseas um, and holidays and whatnot, it's going to be very hard, Neil, very, very hard. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the national picture without dwelling on it too much, but uh, the COVID tracker is showing that on the 11th of April, that's the last date they've listed, uh, Cork had eight COVID cases in the entire county. Surely be to God that proves that we have got a handle on it. In all fairness, eight it's like it's as, yeah, it's as good as gone. That. It was amazing. Kerry is eight. Everyone, it's as good right. as gone. Kilkenny has yeah. won. But, 
But see, Neil, you only need a few people coming into Cork Airport, say, let's say from overseas with COVID, and before you know it, that could take off again, you know? Um, you've got, you know, I, I think until, uh, you know, the vaccine's out and, 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 and you're on top of it, I, I just feel that there's a lot of people obviously doing the right thing, but then there's, and I'm not saying the people who are going overseas are doing the wrong thing. I mean, maybe they shouldn't do that, but the government should take more of a control on it, I think, Neil. Okay, you know? my man. Okay. Um, okay. Mind you, there'd be people here in Australia who, you know, they've been extremely strict, I must say, you know, it, it has, um. Uh, but look, a lot of people say, well, we just go for holidays within the country. That's fine. And of course, it's a big country. But um, I mean, there's lots in Ireland. I mean, you know, there's lots and lots of places. But for now, places. but right now, you can go wherever you want, into and out of anywhere you want, can't you? In a, within Australia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty well all the borders are open now. So, it, for example, to go overseas, we need an exemption. But within the country itself, we can go wherever we want. There's um, entertainment's pretty well open, um, you know, uh, large sporting events. Um, it's, it's it's business as usual. Here in Canberra, to a certain extent, you wouldn't even realise that COVID was around. I mean, except they're very careful when you go into restaurants and that, that you uh, they do the QR um, coding and that in case there is ever a... Um, an outbreak, they're on to it straight away. But you don't need a vaccine passport or a digital search to get into places to show that you're vaccinated or anything, no? No. And no. Okay, and... and, and one wh- thing we're, lack, we're lacking a little bit on the vaccine side of things. There's been a, a few problems in that I know. respect. Okay. And can uh, I just, can I just ask you finally, before I let you go, uh, has everybody stayed working from home or did they, did they ever do that? Because there's... Discussions here now as to how many people will actually go back physically to work. What happened in Australia? Well, yeah, there were certain geographic areas, for example, Melbourne, where a lot of the population was working from home. It's not so much here in Canberra. Initially, yes, but now most people are back at work. Um, But then there's a lot of uh, physically together at work, but there's still... Um, you know, uh, what's happened is it's changed some attitudes. Sometimes people have thought, that, well, we can work just as productively from home and whatnot. So that sort of sort of change of uh, of working uh, maybe there in years to come. Yeah, you know? okay. okay. But, uh, right. no, pretty well business as usual, Neil. But in the beginning, it was um, yeah, people were working from home, especially in Victoria, which which was hit. Pretty hard. Okay. Stay safe, Um, Rob in Canberra. Thanks for taking the call. Hi to you and all of the family. Appreciate it. Much obliged. I often wonder about the societal divide with regards to age groups and working from home and going back physically to the workplace. I've thought about it from time to time, wondering whether the younger generations, younger people, I think they probably, I would imagine, I would have thought they would have had more of a problem about working from home because they want. Um, so more social contact. I suppose as you, as you get older, I'm not saying that it's not, no longer important to you, but I think young people crave the crack more, don't they? And the, the conversation and, uh, you know, the camaraderie and the, the contact of people of their own age, their peers more. I just wonder why it is that the statistics are showing that people are quite happy to work from home. I think you'd be losing off, losing out on a lot of that 
social interaction, particularly the younger generations. Anyway, just a thought, back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Paddy says the helicopters were Army Air Corps on flying operations. Not quite sure what the flying operations were, but thank you, Paddy. Army Air Corps helicopters on flying operations. Somebody else very kindly texted saying that uh, today is the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. Thank you for that. I actually think it's tomorrow. Uh, I think it's the 15th of April, I think. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll certainly check it. But I believe that you know, it was an, an overnight event, 14th into the 15th. I'm not calling you out on it. I'm just saying I think it's actually the 15th. Uh, lots and lots of texts on Dean. Fair play to Dean. I wonder how many, pe- how many of the people giving out about spending the pop payment abroad are themselves spending it on Amazon and other non-Irish companies. Uh, I suppose it's an example of the curtain twitchers, is it? Uh, sounds like sour grapes. How is all of this Dean's fault? No one questioned him about the purpose of his trip, etc. Well, well, they did actually. Uh, they, they did ask him. He said, construction. Anyway, for God's sake, there were five cases of COVID yesterday in Cork. Five. And no one is questioning why we are in full level five lockdown. You're right. The figure yesterday was five. It's laughable. I think everyone at this stage needs to let it go we're gone to a point now where everyone is turning on each other. Case in point, the curtain twitchers and the Facebook police giving out about the lock and Goldberg selling pints. And yet we know now it's barely transmissible outdoors. I had no bother with Dean Neal going away while he was not working. But to be honest, it's like a kick in the teeth to people to hear him say that he's going back for a five-day jaunt. Regarding Dean's trip uh, to Tenerife, I'm of the opinion that uh, making a joke of the government failure at managing our points of entry is not a laughing matter. Many people are hurting, be it inability to visit a dying relative or inability to attend a funeral. Many people have lost jobs. Giving law-breaking a platform is not in the interests of good broadcasting, says John McNamara, listening in Saudi. Boy, I'm so grateful to everybody who's listening overseas, as well as those at home, even though they don't always agree with what I do. Are you for real having the likes of Dean on air again, almost boasting that he's been on holiday during a pandemic and is going again soon and has the nerve to talk about others when he should worry about his own self? He should be ashamed of himself. Stop giving him airtime. Wow. Just wow. Oh, my God. You were very lenient on him. Thank you for those texts. Text 0868104106. Sam, the Titanic. Yes, thank you, Emer. The Titanic started sinking on the 14th and it sank on the 15th. Um, thank you for that. Was it sometime between 10 and 11 at night, I think, on the 14th? And then in the early hours of the morning of the 15th, down it went beneath the tide a hundred years ago, certainly today and indeed tomorrow. Lines are open 1850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. I'll come back to fat shaming a little later on. But with health-related matters, Dan, good morning. Hi. Uh, I know you were in the A&D Sunday night and you describe it no, as... No, sh- no, I was, no, I was there Sunday morning at half past eight. Half eight in the morning. I did procedure done before that and I had to go back of pain and things of that right. And I actually don't know how. The, the crowds up there and the staff are actually running around the place. The staff would would give... Is it Rob Heffman, the trapping talker? The Olympic runner or the Olympic walker? I would have thought the A&E would have been dead quiet considering everything that's going on. Sunday. Sunday morning or Sunday night? Sunday morning, okay. No, okay. I was there Sunday morning at right. half eight. At half eight and in the morning, describe it. 
it was a bit quiet and it got busy then after that and then it got crazy. And what time of the day was it crazy, for instance? From lunchtime on, I said. Okay. And how but long were you in there? I got a bed a Sunday night at quarter to eleven. Now, I was there a half eight until quarter to eleven before I got a bed. Yeah, um, I, I I know that's tough, but I know of people who in the bad old days were two and three days in corridors. I know, and, yeah. but I'm only saying, I, all I'm saying to you, Neil, there must be some other way that can sort out the amount of people going in or going into the CUH. There must be some other way. They have, they have the orthopedic closed. Is that closed on the weekend? Or not, is it? I'll have to check it. I, I, I thought it was... I but thought, you know, I'm just saying the amount of people that come in was... I thought, I thought, that was, I thought the other people was only for breaks. Yeah, but people people that have come in there with, with people are limping and breaks and things like that, I'd say, I don't know, they come into the COH as well. When you go into and, the A&D, it's all Perspex cubicles, isn't it? Yeah, you go in there and there was... When I, I was inside in front of the reception and there was actually... I counted the chairs there. There was 12 or 13 little cubicles they were full constant then there was people sitting in wheels in that area and outside in there, there was another crowd of people I, I mean, said that there must there must have been 40 or 50 people waiting to go in beyond the double doors and they were just standing around were they? no the people outside the reception area they were in cubicles as well so, in why, chairs like as well. How, so there seems to me to be dozens and dozens and dozens of plastic cubicles what else there is, yeah. there is, there is. So, I actually, I, so I, I don't what know. can you do? Like, are there sixty plastic cubicles, seventy maybe? I, I don't, I don't, well, there's, I don't know, there's, there's, I don't know. I, I couldn't count them because I, I just don't know. And what, uh, what, what actually made me where when 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 I was being brought up to the room about quarter eleven, I went out to the the second out uh, the second area outside the reception area, and the amount of people. What were out there? That was the cubicles outside. It was amazing. The amount of people that were out there. When you get through the system and you get into the AND proper, do, you do. Is, I know, I know, I know. Are, are there yeah. are, are there cubicles there as well? Then when you get through the system, yeah. When you you're talking about when you get beyond the two double doors, yeah. There is a there is there's odd. Well, you're on the side of curtain then. You're on the side of curtain then. So, like, the the issue really is the amount of, I know, it's, it's like the plain as the nose on your face, it's the amount of people attending A&E. Yeah, exactly. The amount of people attending the A&E. Is it dangerous, do you think? Oh, I, I, of course it is. Of course it is. Very, very dangerous. And the amount of, don't worry, I was amazed about the amount of people coming in, you know, not a whole lot, maybe half a dozen people coming in with small little babies, very, 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 not, not maybe a couple of weeks old, a couple of months old. And going inside the double doors and, and going in, there's a little off area for those children then on the right hand side for the children. You see, maybe that's why this doctor, as I was talking about yesterday, the woman who the doctor said, you're fat and fat people don't fare well in, fare well in hospital. Maybe that's why he didn't want to send her in with regards to COVID and weight, you know? Because it could be a Petri dish for picking something up. And I just, I, and sometime this morning, I was listening to radio and that spokesperson of the nurses, and she's a nurse and I can't even pronounce her name or think of her name now. She said like the amount of, they have, they, they can't bring in, they can't bring in any, the, the foreign nurses now on the counter of COVID thing. They can't bring any more, any nurses from, we say, India or Pakistan. 
Yeah, but it's not a staff issue out there, you said. It's just a volume issue, is it? Well, well, according to that lady this morning, uh, she said there was a uh, short of staff as well. Yeah, so while you spent uh, the bones of 14 hours before you eventually yeah. got a bed, yeah. you were wearing a mask for all of that. You I were... was the whole time constant for wearing a mask I was, and I, and I was COVID tested when I came in the door. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I did not, just Neil, I just don't know. There must be some other better way of doing that. And then I was thinking to myself, all the them doctors and nurses came home from all over the world, hundreds of them, and they implied a hundred something. Do you that? Uh, yeah, a lot of them didn't even get a look in. Yeah, a lot no, of them that's didn't. Saying, yeah, yeah. And they keep telling us that they're short staff. Like they, they won't spend the money up there. Or sorry, they won't not up there. They won't spend the money in the health service. And all I'd say to you now, I would all of the people that were attending the A and E be accidents or emergencies? They they would, would they? What's this? Sorry, Neil, what's your No, name? I'm saying, I'm, I'm wondering, do all of the people who attend A&E need to go to A&E? Could they I not go to a GP I, I, or should they I, not be going to South Dog? I'm just curious. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. All but, right, my I, man. All, all, all I know, I, I rang the South Dock here uh, and he told me to, uh, he told me to, to go up to A&E. Did you? And another thing, one thing now before you go, right, they tell us there's no money. I was looking at something about the bankers and I mentioned any names, right? about the case and everything else the whole lot and you, the, the journalist says here we spent tens of millions on the case and nothing happened tens of millions yeah okay another tens topic for another day but okay yeah actually read read Oliver Callan's column uh, in this yeah. morning son it's a powerful column he actually touches on like the cost of the children's hospital and the amount of waste and the amount oh, of the amount of fat that's added to stuff and paid for by the state, you know. And I was talking yesterday about the, the dodgy ventilators we paid fourteen million for, you know. That's in for another day. Look, another day. And the, the, the waste the waste of money in this country drives me crazy. All right, Right. Nothing about it. Here's one quick text before you go. I was also, just like Dan, I was recently in the A&D with my baby. There were six or seven adults and another six or seven babies in a tiny, unventilated room yeah, exactly, in exactly, the kids' exactly. A&D waiting area. That was 12 or 13 people in the A&D at any one time. Yeah. It was so unsafe and none of the children or kids had masks on. So there you have it. And Neil, I don't know, can I say this? I came across two girls after and one was very upset. I really felt sorry for And they were sitting on the chair and one was hugging the other. They were left up in that chair in front of the reception desk for nearly three quarters of an hour an hour. And they should have been put into another, some other area on their own. Because they were so upset? One, uh, one was very upset. Yeah, okay. You know, and I, Jesus, my heart went open. Okay, pal. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Lines open 1850-104-106. Text 0868-104-106. Denise. Hello. Uh, thank you for holding. Do appreciate it. Thanks for the text. You wanted to pick up on clotting, was it? Yeah, I'm like you were saying earlier about the figures that it's quite hey. low. It's like four and a million or whatever. But my point was the long term effects. If you do get one, like you have to see a hematologist, you have to see a respiratory clinic. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Um, you have to. Um, get a heart echo. Um, how do you know? How do you know all of this? I've had a blood clot. Um, Recently. Uh, 2016. Okay, so it's not, it's not an AstraZeneca yeah. clot. Okay. 
no, 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 yeah. no. But a cat is a cat. <laughs> it doesn't matter where it came from. There was one, there was 18 reported clotting cases since the 7th of April, 18, which seems to me quite high when you look at their stats of between four and 10 people in a million. You know, doesn't that, it doesn't sound as if it's four and 10 people in a million if there's 18 reported in hospital with blood clots possibly related to AstraZeneca. One of them is a very interesting case um, regarding AstraZeneca. It is a, a cerebral thrombosis which is a clot in the brain yeah now they're yeah. they're they're looking at that one very carefully in our in an irish hospital at the moment apparently don't yeah, know which hospital they're saying that the clots are hitting up high in the body up higher than in the legs and stuff which is it can be fatal um mine was in my lung and there was a reason for mine it was after a c-section and that they're happy if there's a reason for it they're not happy if it comes out of nowhere. And tell me about how, how did you know that you were you were going through a clot? How, how did you know that you had one? What what were the symptoms? Um, I my baby was three weeks old. I was after a section, and I it was a Friday night, and I woke up the Saturday morning. I had a pain in my shoulder, and I thought I slept funny, which is fair enough. The Saturday night then, I was in awful pain, so I woke the husband and we went to South Dock and he gave me an Pain in the chest, is it? No, it was in my shoulder. In your shoulder, okay, okay. Um, The South Dock gave me an injection for muscle pain. Then Sunday, I could barely even walk around the house and I kind of suffered through. And Monday morning, I started um, coughing blood. So my husband had went to work, so I rang my sister. My sister actually had to come in and get me dressed. And she brought me to my GP. And he he went out of the room and he came back in. And he said, look, the ambulance is on its way. Um, he knew what it was by seeing me the Monday morning. So I went up to any, got a CT scan, got a D-dimer, which is the blood from your artery, not your vein, to confirm a blood clot and was put in the high dependency unit then overnight. And was the clot was the clot in your shoulder or was the clot in your lung? It, it was in the lung, but the pain was radiating out through my shoulder. Isn't that amazing? That's why I confused yeah. the pain there, because I knew it was a clot in the lung, but you were experiencing the pain in your shoulder. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 And the CT scan, because um, the worry here is your heart and your brain, right? Um, yeah, I actually got a heart echo as well. I got one during that time. Um, they'd done a heart echo in case there was fluid around the lung. Um, because if it's in the lung, it can put loads of pressure on your heart. Yeah. So they just keep an eye on your heart. And I, I had to return after I was discharged for another one just to make sure that there was another heart echo, just to make sure there was definitely no damage done to my heart. After the blood clot. Any long-term side effects then? Um, I was in pain. I, the pain eventually was in my side by, by my ribs. Um, I was in pain for a good nearly year um, after it. Um, no, it was bearable pain, a bit of paracetamol every so often. But you knew it was there. Um, I was on blood thinners for six months. I had to go to the respiratory clinic and the hemoglobin clinic and the blood clinic. And yeah, just 
just have to be careful and I thankfully now I'm discharged from all of them. But the vaccine would scare me with regards to me, not anybody else because of my condition. Because now I'm I'm looked at as having a blood disorder. But tell me this, isn't, isn't the clotting that they're talking about, uh, uh, the, the clotting risk with regards to AstraZeneca and now Johnson & Johnson, it's a different type of clotting? Is it blood clot or blood clot? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not a medical man. All I know is they talk about it being a different type of clotting. I mean, they say one person in every million may die from this particular type of clot. You know, one... But sure, I could have died if I kept going here without being seen because it could have moved. If you had ignored, own, if you heart. ignored it, yeah, yeah. So, like a blood clot is a blood clot. It just can appear in different places and be more fatal from one person to the next. Yeah, and so you would think that pausing J and J, pausing AstraZeneca, in spite of the very very tiny risk involved, is the right way to go. I I don't know if it's the right way to go because people, like, I'd be cautious with it, whereas my husband would get it, no problem. Um, I think the government are probably thinking the long-term effects if people do get one. Like, you're talking respiratory clinics, blood clinics, blood thinners, um, like even warfarin clinics. It's a long road, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a long road for one vaccine. Now, it's not to take away from the vaccine, but there is other things, and that's probably why they're trying to pause it. Because there's more to it than just saying, "Oh, somebody got a somebody got a blood clot." Like long clotting, as a but you know, when we hear of long COVID, you could also hear of long clotting. You know, the, yeah, the like time if you after, like got AstraZeneca and you ended up with a blood clot you're potentially looking at 12 months of gotcha. in and out. Clinic. I understand, yeah. No, you make your point very well. Thanks for that. Thanks, Denise. That, like, I'm not against vaccines or anything. Well, I would be for me, but not for anybody else. All right, okay. Don't with my, my issues. So, yeah, it's, it's, long, it's a bigger picture than just them stopping it. Yeah, it's just a bigger picture rather than just getting it and recovering. Sometimes the recovery can be quite lengthy. And unfortunately, yes. in some cases, fatal. Okay, thanks yes. for that, Denise. Thank you. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Sean asked the question, please explain what is the difference between being fat and being overweight. People have become so very weak and easily, dare I say, offended these days. Morning, my daughter a few years ago when she was six years old was told by teenagers outside that she was fat and ugly. She came in to me and said that she was fat and ugly and for me to go and buy her makeup, six years old. She was weeks without eating properly, kept looking for makeup. And this went on for months. Teenagers caused this. Kids can be so cruel. She's nine now and thank God she doesn't care about any opinions. She gets some others anymore. Well, good for her. Uh, love your show. I'm overweight and I totally agree with Sarah. Uh, this is the girl who was called fat by her GP. It's not a nice word to be called. I'm 63 years of, of age, overweight, and I cry myself to sleep at times because of my weight. I comfort eat. It got worse when my mam died, as she was my rock to encourage me to lose weight. I can't afford the gyms or anything like that. I've lost my motivation, and I don't like going out, or I don't like getting my photographs taken. I hate being overweight. It's not easy when someone says it to you about being fat. It tears me apart. 
Please don't give out my details as I don't want my family to know what this is doing to me. Love the show. You need to share. I mean, you really do. Don't be living with this on your own. It is tearing you apart. That's what family are there. If not family, friends. But do start a conversation with somebody as to how you feel. You know, I mean, at least sharing in some way means that you're not carrying this burden all on your own. It it could it also could help with regards to motivation. You could get motivation from others if you just start talking. You say you don't want your family to know what this is doing to me. You should really let them know. Uh, they would want to hear and they would want to help. And if not family, somebody that you can trust. Just sit down and have a conversation, you know. Um, I mean, we often talk about our physical aspects of our life and how we're feeling physically. I'm tired or, you know, I have a headache or, you know, I have to go to the doctor or you know, I have to an operation and stuff like that. But we don't always talk openly and honestly about how we feel emotionally you know, and, and, and we need, I think maybe young people are getting better at it, but there's a long way to go, particularly with, with men. I think women are better communicators. Anyway, how did I get onto that? Anyway, I wish you well, but please do share. And um, anyway, let me talk about people in their lives because Neve describes, um, her life at the moment as being, uh, going through daily horrors. Neve, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Daily you horrors. And you too. You're only 37. Um, have you, is it the one, is it one daughter you have? One daughter, Priya, okay. yeah, she's three and a half, she'll be four in May. Okay. My life. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you feel 90, they tell me. Yeah, um, I I spoke to you before, my car got vandalised in Blackpool, and just to leave your listeners know you were nothing but kind to me, so thank you very much for always being there. And um, <laughs> at that time, I was sick, and you asked me on air what was wrong with me, and there and then I wasn't ready, so... I'm 37 in June and it started when I was 35. Um, my eye, I couldn't see out my right hand side of my eye and I went to Egan's Opticians and um, I was sent from there to CUH and they did all eye tests on me and I couldn't get the pattern, the colour and I went from there to neurology and they were quite concerned and they said, then I had them coming in and trying to lift the leg and tap, you know, to see how all the bones were. And they started mentioning MS. And I was like, okay, this is not good. And um, before I knew it, I was going for a lumbar puncture, um, structural scans such as CAT scans and um, MRI. And um, the lumbar puncture came back clear, but the results was there was an infection in the cerebral fluid. Um, after that, um, I was put on anatriptyline, which is for a neurology to relax the bones. Still at this stage, I had no prognosis. I had nothing to go on. And, um, I was having coffee with a friend. My daughter was in crash and I just went into paralyzed mode. My whole right hand side of my body just went dead. I couldn't move. Um, so this is had, functional neurological disorder. It's a condition called FND, FND, where your brain and your body fail to send out proper and receive messages of movement and things like that. Is exactly, it? exactly. It's your nervous system. Nervous system. So, so do body um, parts not work? No. No, there is days that I have good where I can walk. Um, I limp. I drag my leg. I wake up every morning with pins and needles. I find it very hard to dress my daughter. I struggle to make dinners, but I get there. My mom is very good in helping me out, my sisters. Um, 
But you're you're a, you're you're a single parent. Um, and sometimes it, it sounds harsh to say this, but sometimes it hurts my body to lift my own daughter into my arms. I cannot go to the playground unattended because if she runs out of the park, I can't run after her. Um, and she's my everything. So her safety comes first. So I have two very good friends that are getting married this year please God Sean and Colin and my little daughter is very good friends with their little son and we've been in each other's bubble for the whole lockdown and you know there has been one or two incidents where you know I've had to she's fell off something and cried and I couldn't get to her fast enough I'm always the mum that arrives last and it's it's soul destroying Um, I can't walk fast enough Um, I can't lift things um, the most uncomfortable part is lying down at night because the burning of my feet, um, my speech can get very tired and impaired at times. I've had immunotherapy of three days with steroids pumped into me. That's done nothing. Um, they're changing and flickering my medicines. I have medicines to go to sleep, medicines to control my mood, medicines to try and keep me stress-free, everything. So I feel like... You're on a cocktail of things, aren't you? I'm I'm dumped into the shell and I'm not the person I once knew. My mom has noticed it. My friends have noticed it. You know, I cry sometimes and I because I feel I can't talk to my mom. I'd say I, I'm not the native I knew where I could. I used to love rollerblading. I lived in Dublin. I'd love to be able to walk properly. Um, I've had a consultation with my neurologist who is, see, the difference between a doctor or a GP is they're very feeling. But when you're dealing with the neurologist, they're very structured. They're very black and white. And they're very hard to understand, you know. And they said, right, well, you're finding it hard, so now we're going to have to go for physio and we're going to have to give you a walking stick. And I'm like, I'm, 30, I'm 36. Do, if you, if you're, t- you're not even 30. You're not 37 till June. But this condition, FND, have, have you researched it? Have people I've gone through it and come out the other side? Or is this something... I was, you- very, I was very private about it, Neil, but I'm reaching out to people in Cork. But do you know of others in the, around no. the world with FND who have made a recovery and how they made it? Um, just, I don't think it ever goes away. It all depends on your stress levels and your anxiety levels and how it afflicts into your body. So, say I get the flu, I get ten times worse than what the normal Joe Soap like you or a family member might be. It always attacks that bit more because the brain is sending out receivers, oh, she's sick, she's sick, so the body will eat away at that. And then, you know, it, it just I just end up being sicker. Um, I know that there was a professional dancer from watching YouTube clips in Canada. She was brilliant and she actually lost her walk for 12 months. She ended up in a wheelchair and that's the severity of this disorder. That's the, you know... Did anybody anybody ever recommend CBD oil? No. No, I've tried everything. Everything, nothing. But not not CBD oil for like joint pain or anxiety? um, No. Issues like that? No. No. And I mean, I do, I don't have a bath where I'm living. I, I do Epsom salts. I, I kind of bathe my feet to kind of get the feeling back into them. No, these would be drops, like three drops, twice a no, day. No, I've never tried it. Ping, ping, ping in the morning, ping, ping, ping at night. No. And I mean, I would take cod liver oil, I take my vitamin D, I take everything. I just, like I've, I've even said to my neurologist, like, where do we go from here? Do I have to have an operation to fix this? And he said, look, the best way I can describe it, it's like a puppet on strings for you, for the likes of Eam or Brendan, my mom. Your strings are quite straight, but all my strings are tangled and mixed up. 
and for them to go in and operate it would be too delicate it's a brain it's the software my brain has shut down completely so you know this is something I have to live with some days are good some days are awful some days I cry with the pain the pain is horrendous it's not like arthritis and it's very very tiring it burns, it, you know, I wake up every morning, my hand is dead with pins and needles. And as I said... So like, sleeping then, regardless of the mattress or the bed, is like a bed of nails, is it? Yeah. And you're not getting proper sleep, no? No. No, I'm on tablets for everything. Everything. You know, and it's just killed my soul. It's just upsetting, you know. This is, sometimes I just feel I have seeing people on Facebook in England and America. I just want to know, is is it just me in Cork that's been diagnosed with this? Is there anybody else in Cork that says, okay, I have FND too. You know, you have MS awareness, you have everything. Uh, there's nothing here. So we are nothing. talking about, I'll come back after 11 because I'm going to run out of time in a moment, but you're talking about, okay, you're talking about um, the brain not sending out the correct messages for you to move a foot or to lift an arm. You're talking about yeah. joint pain. You're talking about atrocious pins and needles. You're talking about yeah. anxiety-related issues because of that and depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And a feeling of inadequacy in your life and also in the rearing of your daughter. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Hold on there. I'll come back after 11, Niamh, and I'd encourage if anybody has any advice or has been through this. I'd, I'd also love to people talk with people who have taken CBD oil and it has made a huge difference um, I, I don't think that it is, I don't think that it is recommended I'm not of a medical mind to say that it should or shouldn't uh, I, I think that maybe there are a lot of alternatives that we are slow to recommend to people uh, and the health profession included and maybe it will take another couple of generations before these things filter through but think about that and let me know share with me one 850 text 0868104106 Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. Did I really say that uh, it was the coming up to the 100th anniversary of the sinking of Titanic? I probably did because a lot of some of you are picking up on it. You don't miss a trick. Of course, it's not. It was 1912, which would make it 109 years. If I did, I'm apologize for it. We were chatting and I was rambling on about whether or not it was today, the 14th or tomorrow, the 15th. It was overnight tonight, 109 years ago. My apologies for that. Happy to correct it. Just to finish, my, my Titanic sank in 19... Yeah, there's a funny text. Like, Titanic sank in 1912, not 1921. Tell Neely, want to go back to school if he thinks 100 years ago today since the Titanic sank. Maths were never my strong point. Sums... That's what you have a calculator for, isn't it? Anyway, no, but seriously, I, I was chatting with Neve just before 11 with regards to FND. Chap called there a while ago. We're giving him your number, Neve. Is that all right? I can't say yeah, with any amount of certainty whether he has the same condition. Uh, over time, is this destined to get worse, did they tell you? Well, I've looked I've looked everything I could up. Like, it's 14 to 22, over 100,000 people have this. And um, I don't know. Is today the day that I wake up and I can't walk? Is today the day that, you know, this is going to take my walk? Um, How did it happen? Do they, do they even know? It just, no. It's, it's, unex, it's, a medic, it's medically unexplained. 
you know, and it's very embarrassing when you go to the hospitals because I'm sure everybody reads the mirror in the sun and they see this FND, the girl that got treated bad by nurses. It seems to be all England. Well, I'm that girl, you know, um, when I had that relapse last year and takes the body kind of a year to get back to normal, I was rushed into CH. They thought I had a stroke and they were putting items into my feet and trying to see what was wrong. And why was the girl treated badly? Sorry, why was that? Because they feel that it's psychological, that it's all in the head, that there's nothing to prove it. Um, you know, there's, you know, the structured scans that I've had that there's nothing coming up in them. But in fact, my own neurologist says, no, any of what you're feeling is very, very real. The pain is very, very real. When your brain goes to the nerve system and it attacks, the pain you feel is very, you very real. You in pain now? Yeah, constantly. I can only explain to you is I have two stone blocks tied around my shoes. That would be the way I feel when I lift my legs. My legs are that heavy and that's... Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. See, if, if, it is, if, it is, if it's manifesting itself in physical pain, and even if there is, say, for instance, some kind of a psychological or neurological attachment to it, that's why I would encourage you to do some research into CBD oil. I don't well, want to make reckless aunt, statements. but she did that for, for herself, and um, she has barred arthritis, and she felt it did nothing for her. You know, and I mean, I'm on all um, nerve ending tablets, and as I've stated to my doctor, they're they're they've run their course. It's not working. It's not killing the well, pain. Well, I'm only. I uh, listen. I'm 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 not. I can't prescribe, Jason. No, I know I that, Neil, and you're very kind to leave me on air just to. I'm only I'm only making a suggestion of suggest- that you might want and, to and look into the research. I will try it. But and is it true then that you're saving a tenner a week? Why are you? Is that for a bed or, or what? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to save up for a mattress, a proper mattress, because uh, maybe I could sleep better at night. And um, you know, it's it's you know, you don't get sleep. You don't. You're not in good form. I'm constantly cranky, snarly, snappy. It just, you know, and I, I don't want my little girl, like she, like take for instance, Neil, last night, I live in a house where I moved into where I didn't think I was going to end up being a single mom or I didn't think I was going to end up with this disability. And at night, my stairs is very, very narrow. I'm fighting and have a lot of support behind me um, to get out of here. And I need a lot of room. But so when you I can't upstairs, climb the stairs? My bathroom is downstairs, so if I wake during the night, I have to come down with all due respects on my bottom. You don't have a stairlift? I mean, HSC. No, no. Um, I have to tie have my dressing gown do rope around my child's gate so she doesn't come out the stairs during the night and fall down because the stairs is too narrow that I can't fit a baby gate in. Do you have a disability pass? Are you, do you, are um, you, would you believe I actually didn't want to get it because I felt I'm not going to give in to it and a friend had a chat with me, my good friend Grace, um, who's been superb and we talked about it and I said, you know, I'm going to have to. She said, yeah. So I applied for it and lo and behold, the forms arrived today and it was gut-wrenching. It really oh, I was. know. It's depressing for you. I know that. But I'm just trying you know? to talk about this, the, perhaps the services that might be opened to you on the basis of you having a disability. Yeah, uh, and that I've been could in involve adapting. The eye clinic, because my eyesight isn't that great. Um, I don't drive at night because I can't see. I wear glasses all the time. Um, why would another mattress? I mean, God would buy you. I'll, I'll get you a mat- Buy you a mattress. No. Uh, no, I mean, no. but why would you think it would make a difference? Because. 
I suppose the one I have is old and that's not why um, you're on air and say I just thought it was sad to hear you're putting aside a tenner a week you don't have much anyway to see no. if you can get a night's sleep no do you know and I think the most important thing that worries me most is my little girl do you know I want to be able to walk and run and play ball with her and I can't do that it hurts to dress her it hurts to bath her my body aches all the time when I get tired my speech flows go and and then you know I could be I try and go walking I have one of my bestest friends Shauna she encourages me come on move um you know I could be out on the road and I could hit the floor just my legs drop tack they just go and like I'm embarrassed then because I'm like oh people will think there's something wrong with her you know it's yes very, I know and you're wondering, should, you're, you're wondering should I be in a wheelchair you know that kind of thing yeah well that's what I'm fighting to get out of I don't want my little girl to look me at a wheel in a wheelchair and that's something that could happen I have no power over it so you do you know, would you like to hear from like from people who have this and how they deal with it? Or I don't what know anybody in Cork that has this. I feel it so on my own with yeah. it. There isn't there. Is, um, somebody said here. I think Zimmer just did a re, little bit. Of re, you should contact the Irish Rare Disease Association. They have an office in Beaumont Hospital. They research and they may do the research on FND for you. Did you hear of that? The Irish Rare Disease no. Association. No. Yeah. I would be, I'd, I'd be thrilled because there's nothing more upsetting than feeling, God, I'm the only one. And everybody, you know, sometimes people say, what's wrong with your walk? Did you hurt your leg? And I say, no, I have a disability called FND. And they're saying, what's that? I bet you didn't even know what FND was till it was brought to your attention, did you? No, no, no. See, and it's... Or the neurological disorders, without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's very big in England. And I think this is their awareness month. And I just wanted to bring awareness to people that, you know, is there treatments that they have tried that maybe like the one thing I haven't tried is a bone density test. And that was brought up to me through my daughter's nan. And she said, you should go and request a bone density. And I'm surprised that my neurologic, neurologic team haven't done that. You know, um, like it's very frightening the stairs that I have because the minute my legs go and I have had a nasty fall down the stairs on two occasions where I pulled terrible ligaments and you know it's it's everything is getting on top of me like you know I just feel very alone with this and I'm not the person that I should be the happy me of that I once was yeah I know I know Let, let's see if we can find people who are going through it or have been through it um, check out that website rdi.ie rare diseases Ireland obviously you've googled lots on this it says that it's reversible and that most patients find that uh, the symptoms improve naturally with time um but you need the right support for it. That's what they're saying. I'm yeah. just. This is just stuff that I'm finding here this morning. You know. And can I say a massive thank you to my mom, my sisters, and my my three best friends, Grace, Sean, and Colin, because without them, you know, I go home at night, and that's where the monster kicks. And I call it the minute I lock my door, I'm on my own, and I get phone calls from each and every one of them. Have you made it upstairs? Okay, are you in bed? Okay, my mom rings me first time thing in the morning. Are you done with pre? Is everything okay? Yeah. I said, yeah, mom, we're fine. It's a 37-year-old living her life like this is traumatizing to me. It's well, you're living, you're living with chronic pain, fatigue, and all the stress related and anxiety yeah. issues that go with it. Let's, let's yeah. see. Okay, well, look, let's see if there are others who um, um, may be going through it or have advice, you know. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, sleeping on a bed of nails. I mean, it sounds awful, you know. That's even, yeah. that's even, you know, that's even 
it's bad enough in your waking moments, you know, when you're going yeah. about your daily business or not, as the case is, but yeah. not even being able to get a good night's sleep. Anyway, let's see if we can hear from anybody on this, okay? Thank you very much, Neil, for your time. I really, really I hope sharing. It. I hope sharing helps. You know, you'd never know what may come of it. Well, I kept a private for a long time and I just want to know I'm not the only one, you know. Let's find I out. mean, okay. let's find out. That's, that's all I want. And just to be a better, I suppose, more active for my little girl. You know, I don't want to end up in that wheelchair or with that walking stick. I've quite a big determination circle around me and I, I just feel everything I do is for her. I feel personally, if she wasn't here and I'd have never had her, we, I probably wouldn't be on the phone to you this morning. I don't think I'd have got through this. Okay, all right, Niamh. I'm gonna. Thanks for that. I'll stay in touch with you. Let me just uh, let me much. just recap here. If anybody has gone through neurological disorders like this, and okay, there's all sorts of different prescription medication, and you can go through the the correct process involving you know doctors and medics and consultants and what have you. But has anybody done anything differently with regards to it? Uh, any form of neurological disorder, one of which is FND, do get in touch. Email neil at redfm.ie, text 0868104106, and I'll come back to that. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 1850-104-106. Red FM. Colin standing by, but first up, Rob, who's been waiting a while. Rob, good morning. Morning. We all know the story now. Dean went to Tenerife, started January. He was out of work due to the pandemic. Spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and he was lapping it up in the sun. He was on a pop payment. He's home now and had no bother at all, etc., etc., going through security. The plane was full of people that were over in Tenerife with their kids on holidays. Did you want to pick up on that? I just think fair deals to him because at this stage now, where like we just seem to be in a never ending kind of spiral of lockdown and stuff like that. But, um, and I know one of the listeners was ringing in saying he was boasting about it and, and stuff like that. But I think people are failing to acknowledge it's, it's our government's inability to actually control these things. They just say lockdown this, lockdown that. They implement things too late and, and, and pe- people are getting angry at the wrong people. And I think anyway, since after Christmas, it's just turned into um, just a, a generation of uh, curtain twitchers and kind of nose bags that like, you know, they're almost looking for someone to step out of line that they can essentially like either rat them out or just complain about. And I know that probably ninety percent of your listeners ring in, in the morning. They always want to, they always want to ring in, giving out about someone. But, um, like take example the lock. You know, when it was sunny there a few weeks back, and um, they were saying, oh, the people at the lock now, there's going to be a driving cases. There's a protest in town. There's going to be a driving cases. And then there wasn't, that, incidentally. There wasn't yeah, a driving case. Yeah, I know. And then I'm like, and I'm like, can people just see that for what it is? No, but uh, hang on a second. Here's the problem with the lock, right? I, I understand that young people need to get together and socialise. Their heads are wrecked. Their brains are fried from all of this. But the big problem with the lock yeah. was uh, the laneway that went up to the terrace of houses yeah. there, I mean, where I there was a stench the, of the, urine, the right? Yeah, that's like that's obviously you know that's and obviously poo. and also yeah. uh, with any with any of these gatherings, and, and if you want to gather, you know, I'm not the guards, I'm not a court, but. Please yeah, just take just, and, just take no, your junk away with you. Don't yeah, be exactly. a litter lout. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I I fully agree with that. And like you know, there's I think there's no issue with people enjoying themselves. But yeah, have a bit of respect. Leave no you. bloody trace. <laughs> That's all I've ever said. Yeah, yeah, 
But I, I think, you know, and then you see people, they're out taking photos and they're saying, oh, there's no social distancing here or whatever. And I'm just like, it's gotten to a point now where I'm just like, have you anything better to be doing? Could you just like, do you know, I, I think it should come to a point now. It's like, if you want to go out, go out. If you want to stay in, stay in and just leave everyone, get on with their life. Mm. Like your man today complaining, he was saying, oh, your man Dean boasting almost about him coming back from Tenerife. No, boasting about he's gone back again. Yeah, well, you know what? Fair, fair play to him because even the fact that Dublin is a city built on hotels, and then they're saying they have to postpone the the mandatory quarantine because it's it's full already. I'm like, you've five hundred hotels on every street up up there, and yes, Stephen Donnelly and them can't even you know implement a proper procedure in place. So I just think I just think it's gotten to a point now where, like, I don't know what week we're of lockdown we're in now, but. Um, and I suppose I don't know if there, there's going to be much change in June because um, they they seem to be changing the goalpost every time. There is, yeah, I, I know. Well, like we don't know what the Astor or the J and J changes will make now. But say, for instance, by I would imagine in a month's time, right? Bjorn yeah. Martin will make an announcement with regards to what's going to happen with uh, hotels, uh, guest houses, B and Bs, um, you know maybe some yeah. other extras and uh, he'll make that announcement in a month's time and that yeah. those of those things will happen then maybe a week yeah. or 10 days later at the start of june yeah which is in in my opinion i think it's far too late anyway at this stage like uh, if you look at if you look at how well cork are doing anyway with regards to case numbers like fantastic it was five yesterday or something like that and I'm just saying, how is everyone still enduring this and saying, oh, it's Yeah, far. but if you threw open the pubs then, you threw open the pubs, like we'd be back, maybe back to January again. But if it, but we were in the same position as we almost were last summer now. And if they had the outdoor points and, you know, more pubs are kind of still uh, bringing back in the takeaway points, which are allowed anyway. But I'm saying, do you know, if they, if they allowed the outdoor seating again, Who's to say it's going to drive drive up the cases? Like I, I personally don't think so. But yet okay. they they think that they're doing this for for the the benefit of everyone. Like there's businesses been closed since before Christmas, like that, and it's it's gotten to a stage now. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised now at this stage if Michal comes out now another few weeks and says, "Oh, hold tight there now, when we might get a meaningful Christmas." Because honestly, it they, they don't they don't have a clue what they're doing up okay. there. And how old how old are you? Do you mind me asking? How old am I? Yeah. I was actually 30 uh, a few weeks ago. Okay. So, well, yeah. yeah. Here's a gift for you, right? For you and those that are somewhat younger than you. The gift is a 34 billion euro COVID debt that your generation and the generation beneath you will have to repay. We all will, but you'll be carrying the can for a lot longer on this than I will. Yeah, it's like, it's madness. Now, obviously, I've still been working through the pandemic, but. Um, I, I can like I can just see others uh, like especially business owners like barbers and nail technicians and and the likes like they're absolutely decimated and I like thankfully I still live at home I I don't have any outgoings as such but like struggling to pay on that pandemic payment when you know people can implement a safe way to operate. And we're, we're still being told then just hold tight for another okay. six weeks. Uh, come here, hang just a second. Now. You're at home and you're working. You're not giving your folks a couple of bob there every Friday afternoon. Oh, obviously. Like, I'll, you don't I'll think that the clothes way. get washed yeah. and the food appears on the table oh, piping hot and tasty oh, exactly. or nothing? Yeah. 
Oh no, I don't. I don't get away that easy now at all. Like, but um, I, I think anyway, it's it's time for cough for up your few bob. Is that what you? Is that what you're doing? You're coughing up your few bob, are you? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I give the mother uh, the rent at the end of the month, like. But <laughs> it's gotten to a stage now where I think they should, they need to open up the offices because I think one of us will end up murdering each other at home now at this stage. <laughs> okay, stay in touch, Rob. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Take care. <laughs> Oh, man. Colin, originally from Mayfield in Canberra. The whole of Australia is listening today. Colin, good morning. Hang on a second. Let me get my act together. Got you there now. There may be a slight delay. Colin? Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good, good. Eventually got you there. Originally from Cork's sunny north side, but now in sunny Canberra. Is that right? Well, it's a bit cold here at the moment, Neil. We're 1,500 um, metres above sea level, so we get a bit of snow here in the winter. Okay, but, um, okay. Yeah, other, other, than the, other than that, um, most of Australia is, is shining. Okay, so you were listening this morning, okay, and just wanted to pick on one particular aspect, and I was asking one of the lads in, in Canberra as well, actually, uh, whether or not people were keen to go back to work, actually, to go back into the workplace. Yeah, look... Um, I work for the um, for the federal government here um, in IT, and look, you know, they've been pretty conscious about COVID and been very, yeah, very, um, I suppose, alarmist about spreading it around. So we've been working from home for pretty much a year, um, but in the last couple of months, we're doing a kind of um, a bit of a bit part in going back for one day, two days. Now we're on three days. Um, but they're also putting out now whether people want to come back and basically asking individuals whether they want to come back full time to the office five days or four days or three days. So we're actually being given an option for discussion with our managers. It, yeah, that's within government, though. What about private sector? Uh, private sector is pretty much the same as well. Um, I mean, obviously, it goes um, with different businesses. But I think the general feeling is that. Um, a lot of places are trying to, yeah, I suppose, you know, trying to keep their staff and trying to, yeah, just keep keep, keep the best people they can and give them the option. Yeah, because I'm not so sure that there's as much of an option on this side of the pond um, because I'm hearing of companies now that are giving staff an allowance to buy an orthopedic chair, uh, giving staff an allowance to buy a better table. I don't know whether they're picking up on their ESB and light and heat bills or anything, but they're more encouraging people to never go back into the workplace. And I'm I'm wondering what effect does that have, say, for instance, on younger people who crave social interaction, crack, and being amongst their peers. Yeah, well, the interesting thing you mentioned is um, what actually um, got me to call was about, you know, you mentioned the younger people and how different it would be. Um, there's a lot of um, people who are, you know, I think actually rekindling the relationships over the years um, because of COVID. Um, just with, you know, the internet interaction, you know, I'm from Cork and I've been big into music over my years and I've rekindled friendships over 25 years. Um, set up a, a web streaming um, station where musicians and producers come together, mainly from Cork, and um, we've just had a fantastic time. It's called Unknown FM, Good. and it's just growing and growing. It's 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 been brilliant. So yeah, I, I, brilliant, I Unknown FM. Check yeah. it out. Okay, yeah. and but but that is not that is not a solution, or it's not an alternative to physical contact. Though having a relationship or communicating people with people on a screen is not a healthy future. Um, well, do you think about... I it's mean, not a better option than meeting um, face-to-face. 
Oh, look, I think human communication is probably the, the ultimate communication. I've done a, I've done a, a master's in design and uh, human communication was one of the um, things I studied. And, you know, 90, I think about, I can't remember the exact number, but about 90, 95% of communication is through face-to-face, whether it be hand signals, eye blinking, you know, nodding, whatever. And there's no replacement of that, I think, even from video chats. However... Um, having the internet and, you know, things like Zoom and WhatsApp and whatnot has actually brought people together. If we didn't have that, we would still be sending letters to yeah, each other. So that's not, a, that's that not a long-term, having, that's not a long-term healthy alternative. That's almost like post-apocalypse carry on. Yeah, well, I'm not a doctor, Neil. I can't say whether it's healthy or not. But um, as far as I'm concerned, I've... Um, in my situation, it's brought me back in touch with a lot of friends, and I've actually gone to visit some of them in the last couple of months who I haven't seen in many, many years. And we wouldn't have been in contact only for things like the internet. So I think you just need to look a little bit maybe broader than okay. this kind of one one kind of communication channel. So you're 15 years in the land of Wanda Down Under, is that right? Uh, I've been here a little bit longer than that, but I've been in Canberra particularly uh, for three years. And um, yeah, look... We've been pretty lucky here with COVID in a lot of respects. We've had, you know, many shutdowns, but I think with the geographical size of the country, it's probably made it a lot easier than many other um, probably, you know, high-rise cities and, and things like that. So, yeah, we, we kind of have been lucky in that respect. Why did you leave? Was there was it one of our many recessions? Um, look, yeah, I kind of did have a bit of that on my mind. I kind of felt like my life probably wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And I think with work opportunities and, you know, there was also the weather I had to do with it. I just come back from Europe after a long, um, a long and must say enjoyable summer in Greece with uh, quite a few friends of mine and came back to an Irish winter and just thought, why not just keep doing something, you know, yeah. That has good weather, and fortunately, Australia has been a very um, has been very good to me, and I've, I've, I feel very fortunate. Did you say to the lads that there was a, an accent issue when you went out there first, particularly with a Cork accent? Um, well, I must say, I've I, I've had to learn to slow down and be more pronounced in my accent, and um, for the simple fact, that the first couple of years, I I just had a lot of trouble people trying to understand what I was saying, and you know, but it probably didn't help that I was probably you know enjoying myself a little bit too much in the first year here. You know, noisy pubs and nightclubs. What and language whatnot, are you um, speaking? Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> exactly. language are you speaking? You come with subtitles. All right. Okay. That's right. All right, my man. Listen, uh, stay safe. Thanks for listening. Do appreciate catching up. Thank Lo- you. Lovely talk to you, Neil. See you. Cheers, my brother. Take care. Uh, with regards to, um, I suppose if you were to catalogue this, you'd catalogue it under fat shaming, wouldn't you? I know so many people who walk and walk and go to the gym, they do everything right, but their diet is all wrong. It's all to do with what you eat. If you're healthy enough, the weight will drop off. Stay away from chocolate and sweets. They're the killers, and they're full of sugar, says Marie in lovely Clon. Seamus Whelan is down in Clon and in Chidani today, uh, doing voxes with the good people down in that area. Uh, Neil, people should not comment on weight, no matter what. I have a 14-year-old who is naturally slim, and she gets called anorexic by boys. Even our sports coach told her to put on a few pounds. She was too skinny. She and I find this very upsetting. It's amazing, isn't it, how people throw around labels like they do. It's just amazing, of course, that they think that it's okay to put labels on people. Uh, a friend of mine told me I was fat a few years ago. It made me lose weight. 
My friend did me a huge favour. I lost the weight after that, says Anthony. Calling anyone fat is wrong, full stop. You don't know the person's state of mind. Morning, I'm obese. I'm 41, have two kids. I have tried diets for years, on and off. I've never stuck them out. They all work, but you need to want to lose the weight. It breaks my heart. I'm now attending a psychotherapist to deal with overeating and binge eating. It's emotional eating, suppressing feelings, not facing childhood issues and other things. Thank God I'm feeling better, but it is a daily battle. I am not a fat pig. Of course you're not. I'm just emotionally traumatized, and I used food to suppress the trauma. Others use alcohol, others use drugs. Please God, I do myself good this time. I'll fix myself from the inside, and the outside will follow. Good luck to you. Um, really and truly. I'm a fitness consultant. Personally, I would never call anyone fat. I use other simple terms such as high body fat percentage or excess body fat. Um, yeah, but that doesn't quantify how excessive the body fat is, does it really? Terms like that. Because everybody would have excess body fat. You know, Most people would have excess body fat, but when it moves into a completely different category where there are just roles of excess body fat. Is that the same terminology we'd still continue to use? I think the doctor was correct, Neil, telling that girl she was fat, but he could have phrased it using some other terms, his head. Well, then he wasn't correct. You know what I mean? Another one here. Nobody should call anyone being overweight. You don't know their circumstances. I put on about three and a half stone over a three-year period due to three miscarriages and thankfully to the birth of my child. The number of times people commented on me was very hurtful. Uh, I lost a lot of it. And I'm now on the other side as I'm losing too much weight due to not being able to keep food down. Uh, all I hear now is, you look great. You look great. People shouldn't comment. You don't know what's going on. Well, you don't want to throw everything out here. Like, okay, you don't want to be fat shamed of people using terms like saying you're fat or you need to lose weight. But you do want compliments, don't you? You do want people telling you that you look great, surely. There's nothing nicer than people paying you a compliment. You have to be very careful with compliments now because some of them are deemed to be sexist. Um, you don't want to have that happen either in the world we live in these days. But a compliment is nice, I would have thought. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Um, Con, good morning. Neil, hello, how are you doing? I'm very good, I'm very good. And we're getting an opportunity to reminisce there over the last few weeks with, well, I do it as often as I can. Nostalgia is great. Yeah. And, we were, and, you know, I was in Yall yesterday on the beach. The tide was in and it was very oh, busy nice. with people. Day before that, I was down in, in, in James Fort and Kinsale getting a bag of chips and Dino's. It was lovely. Oh, <laughs> the best. You, you the wanted best to talk done. about, did you say to me on Instagram, on my Instagram page, that Dino's do a great, um, was a yes. was a fish dish. What was it? Monkfish scampi. <laughs> was it? Better, than, better than Doyle's in Sydney. And that takes <laughs> some beating. I didn't even see monkfish scampi on the menu. Is it there? I'm a, I'm a, I was always worried about monks. Maybe I've left that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> monkfish scampi. Deep, yes, the best. Deep fried monkfish chunks. Oh, deep fried, Neil, deep fried the best. I'm, I never miss it when I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just reminded me, actually, you'll hate me for this. I'm going into O'Connell's in the market at lunchtime because they do a monkfish curry ready prepared. Please don't all go in there and rush and buy it and leave nothing for me. They do a beautiful monkfish curry, which you just literally take home and reheat. So you're probably you're probably dying with nostalgia now about the English market over there in Kent. 
Well, I, yes, well, I am here this morning here in the Garden of England. Look, monkfish, monkfish is one of the ugliest fishes, the fish, sorry, that's about, but the, the meat is absolutely wonderful. It's just, the, it's just the tail part. Anyway, have you been out lofting pints in the Garden of England pubs? Neil, I haven't lofted a pint. I was stopped one time, I, I gardened to me, he said, he said to me, when is the last time you had one of those funny drinks? I said, 14 years ago, I said, I'm okay now. <laughs> okay. So you haven't ventured. You haven't Not ventured. At no? Not at all. Liam, I, uh, sorry, Neil, I've been to she beans all over the globe. I don't do it anymore. I haven't had a drink for 16 years, coming up for the 24th of <laughs> but July. But that doesn't stop you going into having a bit of food outdoors, No though. good, no good, no good. You don't go into a, a, a temple to, without praying, do you? <laughs> So I don't do it. Okay, my man. Okay, okay. Anyway, tell me about the ra- being a railway child. My mother was the <laughs> the gatekeeper at Inchy Bridge Level Crossing. Where's right? that? Where's that? Inchy Bridge. Neil, you better go on Google Earth. It's on Google Earth. Have a look at it. Yeah, it's um, it's it's Inchy Bridge between Timberleague and Bandon. My mother was the gatekeeper there. It was. I have two late brothers. They've died now. I'm the last one who remembers my mother doing the gates. She was a lamp trimmer and she was also a detonator specialist. <laughs> right? Now, I'll tell you what the lamp trimmer is. A lamp trimmer is someone who tends to the oil lamps for the, for the, for the, for the, for the two on the gates and there's two signals, two signal masts, 500 yards each side of the level crossing. And the detonator job, what's that? Blowing things up? The detonator's job, you get a lot of dense fog in bygone days in the Argadine Valley. And when you had dense fog, I was to trot up the railway track with my mother, 500 yards, just about where the the signals uh, masts are. And she used to strap two detonators, one each side on each track, two different areas. So we couldn't wait to hear the bang, the two big bangs when the train came along. So then my mother swung into action and she opened the gates. That was to tell her that the train was coming for she couldn't that, see it like. Uh, it was not. It was to tell the train drivers, Neil, because they didn't know where they were. <laughs> the fog was that dense. Okay, they didn't know where they were. The bang would tell them that you're a couple of hundred yards from the gate. And it, and it also told my mother, gate, gate opening time has arrived. Yeah, so your mother kept explosives at home then. <laughs> Yeah, we played with them as children. I don't know how we're still alive. You know, we're, we played with them like you play with a toy in the house. There was a box of them up in the clevy, as we call it. You so, know, the old mantelpiece. So what would happen through all of those years if your mother forgot it was time to open the gate? It happened. The train would stop outside the door. Beeping. And be. They, they, well, they, they were steam trains. I was around in the steam train era, Neil. You know, but what always I remember, you know something, I'm, I won't take too much of your time because you're a busy man. Look, you know I've traveled a lot in my life, yeah, right? Yeah. Sometimes the journey is as good as the destination. Trust me. Yeah. When you come out, let's go back to 1956. You are on the train and you're going to Cork Mac for the day. You go through the suburbs of the western part of the city you cross over an amazing viaduct yeah. over the Bandon Cork Road. Yeah. You, have, you have a tunnel in Bannonhassig full of smoke and steam and little light. And you make your way out to, into Upton, in the Shannon, Bandon. Then you go out into the Tonicilty Junction, which is in Bandon, funny enough. Peddlers cross into Bannonhassig, and then you alter course and you go south-southeast. 
Stun- and, and along all of that, of course, stunning views along the way. Oh, Neil, trust me, when you, this is what, it's a bit like the outback in Australia. You've been out, you've been up to Alice Springs and places like this fellow's been. Yeah. Uh, the outback is outback, a wonderful place. And, and don't forget, the excitement of these people from Cork City, the few stragglers from Bandon. It was a, it was a day, the Cork Mackerel Gatter Day was big. I, we could, as a child, remember the excitement and the waving and the screaming in the train. And then when they came to Banlaskarty, they headed east. You had, on the left, you had Mountain, a forest, a little mountain. And then you had Scaife Bridge. That's the last stop before Inchy Bridge. And oh, then God, you had, uh, on your left, you had the graveyard for the famous, famous Charlie Holiday is, is, is uh, resting in peace, yeah. looking down on you. Yeah. And then you go into the Argadine Valley and you come to Inchy Bridge. There's my mother, Sunday morning, best-dressed woman in the parish, <laughs> to let the, open the gates and wave to everybody, smoking so, her gold flake. So the house and or the cottage came with the job, am I right? That was it. Rent free, open the gates, close the gates, look after the lamps and the detonators, yeah. and that was our little house. Yeah. And Neil is still there, and I've still got it. Well, oh, you have the lamp? The lamp? Unfortunately, my brother sold the lamp. He, he had reason to have sell you, it. Have you still got the cottage? Yeah. Well, I'll be darned. And, like, does somebody living in it? No, I, I was going to have it rebuilt there some time ago. I changed my mind a bit about it, but I still keep it sort of good. And it's, it's, it's what it is. It's the history. Neil, look, there's an amazing bit of history with that place. Trust me. Did somebody, and, and, and of course that's gone now, and much of the track was lifted, unfortunately. Oh, if we could only go back. And the same going east to y'all and over to Waterford. But somebody said to me by text a few days ago, the, the, the steam trains that you're describing, the engines and the carriages, a lot of them ended up in India. Would that be right? That would not be wrong. The, the, the tracks found their way to Nigeria. And the steam the trains? The steam trains, some of them were scrapped, to my knowledge. I think there's one or two, or there's a few still in Ireland. Now, I'm not totally clear up about that. There is a few about. But I, I was there in the steam era and the diesel, and then when they went to the diesel, we never liked that. No, no smoke, no steam, no, no steam whistle. Boring. Great story. You're actually describing a lot of my wife's life and the generations before her because all of her family were on the railway and many of them were station masters, often Cork, often in Kerry and often in Waterford. And uh, I think that if I'm right in saying that some of the relations before her were actually the very same as you and your family in Little Island at the Little Island crossing. Yeah, things like that. But it's it's an amazing conversation to have. You know, it really is. I remember back to the I know you're going to go soon, but listen, if you ever had the time... I'm going to be back there in about six to eight weeks' time. Anybody's welcome to come down there and have a look and sit down and listen to this man because I'm the last one of the family that's left. And if I don't talk about it, it's gone, you know. And I have it from the, I have it from the heart because I was there from one year old, you know, in that, in that little railway house. Amazing. So I know, I know how it went. I knew the system. I knew that the, the inspectors used to come out, Fogarty and Galaki, remember their names? They were amazing people. They, was, they were just so kind, you know, and they'd sit in the little cottage with my mother. She put the old strong tea on. I knew the railway line people. I know their names. I know all of them. And I've still got it in my little brain, you know. Yeah, look after that cottage, hear me? Well, it'll be, it'll be looked after as long as I'm around, and I'm going to make my 
I'm going to make plans that somebody else will look after it when I'm gone away to ring a skiddy in the, in the, for the little for the fire. The little ceremony. Not today well, or tomorrow. It'll be very little. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. the plan. I'll see you when you get back in a couple of months, all right? And bring Seamus along as well. He's got some little connection out in that neck of the woods. All right, my man. Talk to you then. Take care. Take Feel care, free to bye stay bye. listening over there in Kent and England, Con, but always good to catch up. Do stay in touch. Make good morning. Hello, how's it going? I'm good. Just ahead of your call, let me just do a little bit of housekeeping here if you don't mind. This is your cue to call, 1850-104-106. Take the Syro speed test and see can you win the cash. Call us now. On 1850-104-106. Caller 10, please. Uh, you're with an organisation or group called Ireland's Railway Heritage, correct? Uh, no, 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 no. There's no such thing. Um, oh, oh, so is it, talk- so we're talking about Ireland's Railway Heritage yeah, then, nonetheless. Right, okay. I just said that my talking there and it was very interesting, but... Um, what I'd like to make out is that uh, Ireland's Railway Heritage is almost non-existent. I mean, have you ever li- li- visited Ireland's Railway Museum? It doesn't exist, does it? No. You no. haven't because it doesn't exist. As far as I know... Well, I tell, you, I tell you, down below in Clon, they give it a bit of a run for the money, though, wouldn't it? That fabulous museum down the railway, the railway museum. I mean, I know it's model railways, but it's got a replica- replication of an old station and what have you. Would that do you, know? Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about the real thing. I'm talking about something similar to what they have in every other country in the world. Uh, as far as I know, every country in Europe has a national railway museum. Even the Isle of Man has a railway museum. And if you want to go further, even the Isle of Wight has a railway museum. Mm. Mm. But we have nothing at all. In Maybe the they'd have nothing to put in it. We have nothing left. Everything was broken up for scrap. And any bits and pieces. If you want to see anything of Ireland's railway heritage, you will have to leave this jurisdiction. You see a beautiful steam engine in Kent Station, though. Well, there's only half of that there. The other half of it is missing. Okay, I didn't know that. And if you want to go further, one day that was there in the 30s and 40s, stored in Dublin. And there was four coaches with it, which came from the 1840s, and they all rotted away in time because they oh, weren't up there. Oh, the coaches that came with the steam engine in Kent rotted away. Yeah. They were rotting away because they were kept out in the open and the engine itself was rotting away as well until they decided to do something about uh, it. Ah, no. That's so a shame. So we have nothing left. Yeah, that's so a shame. I'm calling, I'm calling now, if I can, to Ireland's tourism business to establish a railway museum in Ireland, preferably here in Cork. Like, we had three different networks in Cork, didn't we? Because, like, we had Albert Key and that... And that, and then with the West Cork Railway, and then we even had a line yeah. to Muscree and Blarney. Never mind the Dublin line, didn't we? We had all of those. That's right. And another note of passage. Yeah, there of course. Railways, there were six railway stations in Cork at the turn of the century. Do you remember? Me- no, you won't remember the turn of the century. But we all remember the trains going across the bridges, don't we? Going to Albert Yeah, Keen. I remember them quite well. Yeah, yeah. I remember them quite well. But there's nothing left of all that era. Everything was broken up for scrap. And I can't understand why they like me, why they're still doing it. And I can't understand why nobody has bothered to set up a museum and to say that, you know, this is our engineer. <coughs> we are quite proud of it. We made it here. You know what I mean? I know Even when they went over to the diesels, they were unique to this country. They were, you wouldn't find this same type of diesel only in any other country. They had a diesel, actually, a very, very old diesel. I think it was the last train that went out of Cahir Savine. Again, my wife's father was the station master down there. And they put it on display down in Cahir Savine for some years. Big, huge right, diesel. Yeah. Do you remember it? Yeah. Well, that, do, got, yeah. that got ransacked and destroyed and burnt and had to be taken away. 
just scrapped yeah, because eventually. you see they should have a national museum and everything should be put into it and all all the visitors coming would see it I mean Irish people don't seem to have any love affair with their trains at all but uh, if uh, if we are interested in tourism the English people love their trains I suppose in Ireland oh, there's roughly about a thousand people like me out in, on the whole island Whereas in England you'll have two and a half to three million people. And haven't they, they, they they've recreated of tourist ones, short lines, haven't they? Short steam lines. Where? All over the UK. Oh, they have everywhere. Every county has one at least. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And they have, uh, they have roughly eight million visitors every year. You see, people so stop. You can, people, you, people you can stopped. imagine the tourist, tourist potential that's there and we just seem to don't get it at all. Yeah. I remember the story, I probably told this years ago, of um, some representatives down on West Cork who went up to CIE at the time trying to save the West Cork tracks and save the West Cork rail and everything and they went up to meet yeah. CIE and they met the boss man high up and he he listened to them and said to them listen I know you're heading back to West Cork now and thank you for coming up and blah 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 could you give me your tickets and I'll upgrade you to first class and you know what they said they said we didn't come up by train at all we drove and he said well I rest my bloody yeah. case so people stopped That's using fair. the rail you see they drove cars yeah. instead the, the same thing happened in all the other cases around the country that they were closing. Yeah, because people stopped Northern using the Railway. trains. Yeah, the Great Northern Railway was the exact same thing. The deputation came down as well. So, so you're, not as, you're, not, you're, not really, you're not really saying, okay, it's an awful thing, the rail gone. It's just, it had to go ultimately, but you just want it remembered more. We should have a national museum in the country okay. of all railways. Okay. And right. uh, I'm calling now, again, on anyone or anyone with a bit of power, the Lord Mayor of Cork, if he's interested, Cork Tourism and anybody else to establish a museum here in Cork. And the ideal place is the, the redundant locomotive shed below in Cork. Where? Because that's going to be flattened to the ground, the, local, the locomotive shed below in, in Cork Station. At Kent? Yeah. Okay. It was the third, the third biggest rail um, locomotive shed in the country. Okay, my man. Dublin. Belfast and Cork. All right. Listen, thanks for taking the call. If I get some more calls or texts on it, I'm happy to share. Cheers, Mick. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Back after the break, 1850-104-106. We've got 300 euro cash to give away with Syro. Uh, Syro, Ireland's ultra-fast 100% fibre broadband next. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 300 euro cash right across each day, every day this week. You never know where you get an opportunity with me. It's this morning. With, uh, this morning, it's, it's my chance to give away 300 euro cash with Syro. Ireland's ultra-fast 100% fibre broadband available in over 24,000 homes across the city. Loads and loads of different suburbs. And you can check yourself whether or not you could get this uh, super-fast 100% fibre broadband. www.syro.ie to see if you can connect today. But let's see if we can connect. Caller 10 is Wendy O'Connor calling from work in Hanley's Garden Centre. Uh, but hail and hearty from down Coachford Way. Wendy, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I actually have a rare day off today, Neil. My apologies, I'm not in Adelaide. Oh my God, how, how are they surviving without you? You being uh, the throbbing heart of the business and all that. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's been tough now with customers not being able to get into I us, know. I must admit. It's just you have to adapt. But you we're have to there. adapt. We're getting there. To. And people are patient, so that helps too. All right, if you, if you win this 300 euro, you don't have to split it with Jim Hanley now or anything like that. Keep it no, yourself. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for you then, I have a multiple choice question for you. I'll ask the question, so don't worry okay. about that. I will then give you 10 seconds 
to okay. um, pick the correct answer and I will give you three oh options on that, okay? Okay. Okay, so just, just think, just listen to my words. Okay. Right, said the hypnotist. Listen to my words. <laughs> According to Google Maps, how long would it take Wendy um, if you were to walk from Ballancolic GAA to the Wilton Shopping Centre. The distance is 6.8 kilometres. If you were to walk it at a regular pace from Ballancolic GAA to Wilton Shopping Centre, how long would it take? Would it take you A, 2 hours 28 minutes, B, 1 hour 48 minutes, or C, 1 hour 25 minutes? Now, I will give you... 20, 10 seconds now to think about that. A, 2 hours 28. B, 1 hour 48. C, 1 hour 25. Oh, I'm going to go with the 2 hour one. I wouldn't do that. Oh, God. Okay, 1 hour 48. I wouldn't do that either. I don't know if you know me. I'm really short, and I've got really short legs, so it takes me longer to get everywhere. That's the reason. Well, I so, okay, on the on on that basis, then that you are the slowest walker because you have tiny yeah. legs. It might take you two hours twenty. But me, right? Right. With slightly longer legs than you, an hour and twenty five minutes. Oh wow! Okay, did not. Do that. So you got it right. Hey! <laughs> Thanks so much. And we'll definitely check out that broadband because we just bought a new house, so we'll be looking for broadband. Yeah. Well, I got I got Cyro a customer then. You did. Thanks a million. Thanks very much. Oh um, my god! Wait till I go to work tomorrow. They'll kill me. Yeah, well, don't bring the three hundred in with you. Leave it at home. No, right? no, no. Good I luck. Mean, you're very good. Thanks a million. I'm going to move Bye. on. Take care, Wendy. I need to get off the air before I'm dragged off the. <laughs> you got to laugh, though. Don't you have a bit of fun? Anyway, more of that tomorrow. Please wish my mother, Siobhan O'Leary from Balafihan, a happy 80th birthday today from all of her family, particularly Gina. And everybody loved Con's story. People just love nostalgia. And I think listening to Con talking about our ma'am smoking the woodbine and the beautiful little cottage and the railway crossing and the lamps and all those stories attached to it are absolutely gorgeous. Now, Dr. Gihard L. Bastawizi, ba- Bastawizi is a consultant in, anesthi- in, in, I think the word would be anesthesiology, intensive care and pain management. He thinks he may be able to help Niamh. So we've passed on details and that's great. So if anybody has any other stories to share, I other, see other people coming in talking as well about having FND. But there we have a consultant who deals with this type of pain management who may well be able to help me. Thank you, Gerhard. Uh, good to get in touch with you and I hope that you can make a difference. Lines will stay open at one 850 106 Text 0868-104-106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.